You're basically John the Baptist for the league. Well, it needs one. It needs a messiah to come after you. You end up beheaded, but, you know, yeah. for, for the good of the game. Well, you'd be willing to lay down your life, right? OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, we've got a great show lined up for you today. We have a bit of a Limerick special. Both Aaron Galan and Nicky Quaid are going to join us. Uh, we are also going to hear from Mike Casey a little bit later on. We have Martin Lipton because the football season is back. Is everybody familiar with the fact that the Community Shield, Community Chest, Charity Shield, what's it called? One of, the, one of those three things is... It's, the, on, it's on this weekend. It is on Saturday, I think, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, Colm is here. Saturday evening, yeah, half past five. Owen is here. How are you? Um, Colm, so happy with the the love that his hipster football top got yesterday. He's wearing the, the second bit of his... Oh, yeah, nice. Oh, yeah, top. you caught it, yeah. This is the polo shirt version. Um, the most... Re- maybe the second or third most recent version for Satellite Taxis FC for the polo shirt. We've changed the collar, made it darker... Uh, is actually the same colour before as the top with a little white uh, streaming. but now we've gone dark navy with blue the game is gone as they would say on the evening show what, what are Satellite Taxis FC they're a Cork club are they? Cork club uh, founded by uh, Paul Callanan uh, owner of Satellite Taxis FC in uh, 2013 we were sitting around thinking wouldn't it be great if all us friends could join a club so we was like well why don't we start our own club and by we I mean Paul did that Paul started the club I was in Australia at the time and came home to join Satellite Taxis FC. I was only playing for six months, You're a big but signing. actually got a job as club ambassador since. And why did he join Satellite Taxis FC as opposed to Free Now FC? Well, they're the enemy. Yeah, that's so that's true. like United joining City, Liverpool joining Everton, Celtic Rangers, Galatasaray, Fenerbahce. That's, you can't do that. It's barely even a joke in Cork. So like, if you're going to play for a Satellite or a taxi-based football team in Cork, it's Satellite Taxis all day. So that's what, And look, the... I agreed with the side of play, the philosophy, what they were trying to do, uh, the keep ball. So, um, look, it was a, it was a really great football experience, and we just you know we had a great time. We had a, it was a lot of success. It seems like the, the design of the jersey and the gear was more important than the football. Is that no, a fair? No, no, look, it was there was just the philosophy of play that I, I suppose incorporated into fashion. Yeah, there's a hierarchy yeah. here. Though, but, but, but there was a combination. Look, not, everybody, not everybody was a footballer. There was like grafters in there. Everybody had a bit of something. And everybody's bringing it to the table. And I suppose they delivered, you know, consistently, just trophy after trophy, many appearances at Turner's Cross. Now, I wasn't personally there for those, but the club has been very successful. Is this not everything that's wrong with football? Instead of, like, joining your local club and improving it, you decide, oh, no, we're going to, like, set up a rival, withdraw some of the resources from the locality. It's the well, fractured it is a local club in Ireland. It was all local people Yeah, but coming together. This is a joyous thing. Aren't there other local clubs that you could have joined to strengthen as opposed no. to setting up rivals? We were ostracised by the local clubs. So we were sitting. We were sitting there one night, right, socialising, thinking, what wouldn't did, it be wouldn't it be great what if did, we could set up our own football team? Did they just not pick you? And what yeah. happened? But what did what did you do to be ostracised? I mean, in fairness, it's now politics, you know, for them there, and we all were. So we were like, look, we can't let our collective talents go to waste. We're going to waste our prime years with these clubs. All the politics of these clubs. So let's set up our own club. Set up the club within two years. Final and Turner's Cross. Ah, there you go. Look, you know, you now. look at the Wikipedia. Are you bored? Are you Googling I'm, what I'm, to do I'm trying to get on. I'm trying to get on the internet here. Cause oh, it's, right. it's, I thought you were looking up facts about it because I, te- I could just tell you. It's fine. Um, we, well, should get, we, should get, we should get them on, shouldn't we? Um, no. The owner. They're currently third in the Cork Business League uh, behind UCC United and Doolin's Cow Bar. Yeah, Doolin's Cow Bar, good team. Yeah. 
We should get Paul Callan and Ray Hallisey on. They're 23 points behind at the moment. Actually, uh, Ray Hallisey, he used to um, make up songs about uh, our show and send them in. Oh, okay, okay. So that's that guy. And you've heard a bit of his work. I have, I have. It's excellent. Yeah. yeah. There's a bit of context there. Um, Yeah, okay. Just taking a picture of the the, uh, Wi-Fi not working to send to support. You you guys chat amongst yourselves, right? We've we've been doing that quite successfully for the last four minutes. This has happened to you for a few days, just you though. I think the the audience will be the judge of just how successful those opening four minutes were. Oh, they've really enjoyed it. You can leave a comment in the YouTube stream if you'd like more of... Satellite Taxis FCFM. Well, I did morning. suggest what we could talk about at the top, but you're quite happy to do satellite. Um, there you go. Which I'm quite happy to do too. Uh, well, uh, uh, Owen, the football season is back. We're talking to Martin Lipton a little bit later on. We're going to talk to John Duggan about his hopes for uh, Spurs. Your hopes for Arsenal? Mm-hmm. They yeah. kind of they come and go in wave motion. They do. Yeah, the Premier League season is back, of course. I mean, uh, football season has been raging through uh, the, the summer. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Arsenal uh, yeah I don't know like I mean this is like you're gonna, what's going to happen here is that you're just going to lull me into like a false sense of security here where I'm going to like say that they're going to win the Premier League or, or something like that because was it you calling me yesterday that was talking about Manchester United's very encouraging pre-season campaign yeah. uh, Arsenal yeah. have uh, suffered a similar fate and, yeah 4-0 uh, against Chelsea I would, uh, and winning the Florida Cup in the process so one trophy on the board trophy. already um, you know. uh, uh, yeah I'm a bit uh, get a bit worried about pre-season ever since David Moyes's uh Seriously successful 2013 preseason. I don't remember how successful it was. Was it well, not? He just, he was just deve- it wasn't so much the results. He was developing players. Like I mean, subsequently it's emerged they had problems when they were on that tour in Australia about taking the players to too public an area in Sydney, I think, and they were mobbed. And he wasn't uh, the poor players. He wasn't aware of the fact that this could happen because he was used to taking Everton away. I think that's how Manchester United players get mobbed. But it, I remember it being encouraging, and he was developing a lot of good young players. Jesse Lingard, who was actually was young at the time, because he's always described as a young, promising player. Yeah, and he was bringing players through. And of course, David Moyes in his first game won the Community Shield, which is happening this weekend. And his first um, game of that season, I think they won like four 0 away to, I want to say Swansea. It's a very encouraging start, you know. So I just don't get too excited at this time of year. Yeah. And how are you? How are you yeah. feeling with t- signing two players that Manchester City were happy to disregard? And Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko. Well, I mean, one of the reasons why they were happy to disregard one of them is because they've signed the greatest number nine of his generation. He's possibly. to play every game, though. And Jesus is a good good player to have up front. But Jesus wanted to play a lot more. And even in the current Manchester City setup, he wasn't going to play every game. And now he's one further person out the pecking order. So I can see why he, he leaves. I wouldn't be painting it as somebody that. Well, no, it is true. Manchester City were happy to disregard them, but there is nothing wrong with that, given that Arsenal are a team who are trying to chase top four and don't have a title challenge within their grasp just yet. I think both uh, fulfil a pretty uh, pretty good function for Arsenal, where they go into this transfer window and their big news was signing Eddie Nketiah to a new deal. I mean, I don't think there's any argument that Gabriel Jesus is an upgrade and a significant one at that on Eddie Nketiah. And then the other question, and one of the things that we talked about quite a lot at the end of last season, was just the frustrations around Kieran Tierney. Regardless of oh, yeah. all his quality, I thought it wouldn't have been the most outlandish thing in the world if Arsenal had looked to move him on at some point. That would have been extremely harsh and probably a knee-jerk reaction. But they needed cover at left-back because Tavares just was not good enough whenever he played. He had a couple of good moments late on in the season, mm-hmm. but just not consistent enough. So Alexander Sinchenko, I think, is a bloody good replacement um, for Tavares if he's not going to be involved with the Arsenal team uh, all this season I think Zinchenko's a good signing fair enough um, Gabriel Jesus I sent you this the, the day the signing happened Gabriel Jesus has scored 58 goals from 76.68 XG in the Premier League an underperformance of 18.68 
Really? Yeah. Apparently, Arteta really likes his ability to cut back from the wing to set up other players that he's actually a very selfless forward well, and that's what Arteta likes about him I think again if we're talking about improvements and uh, what you're basing Jesus off is not necessarily in Kedia you're basing him off Alexandre Lacazette and I think even that XG that you paint there is uh, encouraging in the, is the shadow, in the shadow of Alex. I don't know what the exact uh, XG are but the, th- the problem with Lacazette was that I thought he was always a brilliant link man and he was great without the ball a good presser but I guess maybe because of his age or whatever it was he just didn't have a finishing ability maybe he was just too tired every time it actually came to doing the basic job of putting the ball in the back of the net Jesus has shown already in pre-season that that's not going to be a problem I think it's four goals in four games I think that he's able to do everything that Lacazette did dropping deep uh, allowing the likes of Martinelli and Saka to get on the ball we're not counting pre-season on the goals we're not but I'm just like I mean I'm not saying that's the, the XGD uh, fact disproven I'm just pointing to the things that would give you hope that the XG thing can be disproven and I think he's done all the things that Lacazette did very very well and he's done them to the same level and then he's also looked like a, a better goal scorer or certainly uh, has more of a goal threat so I'm very very excited about these two signings I'm very excited about the Fabio Vieira signing yeah, he hasn't yeah, played yeah. yet in, in pre-season uh, he's been injured so that's uh, he's fit right in at Arsenal straight away he's got <laughs> injured immediately as soon as he showed up to the club so I would like to have seen a bit of him but like Arsenal have depth and that, that was their problem last season they couldn't compete even on one front because they didn't have enough players Jura's about to walk out of the studio I'm with just his laptop yeah, yeah, and uh, the we just go back to satellite taxis for a sec cool um, oh no, look I, there I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm allowing myself to get like semi-excited as, uh, as Jura kind of, like, wanders around <laughs> um, the studio <laughs> <laughs> not to put you on the spot too much but do you have an, a starting 11 in mind if everyone's fully fit for Arsenal next season with the new yep. signings incorporated at the start of so in two weeks time yeah, uh, we'll so say you're having let's just assume Tier, Tierney's out. Let's assume Vieira is is out. Uh, let's let's go with uh, Ramsdale and goal. What I think my, what we've what we've got at the moment is Tommy Asu's also injured. So oh, I think yeah. Ben White's going to start it right back, and apparently he's looked quite good there. And you'll have William Saliba and Gabriel as your two centre backs. Saliba, of course, is back. Uh, a, a guy who Arsenal put on loan three times. He's been spoken about, you know, in the same era as Mesut Ozil and uh, Aubameyang as a player that Arteta, you know, put the foot down with and, and shunned to the sidelines. It turned out that was all a load of rubbish. That actually Arteta did believe that putting him out on loan was what he needed, and uh, he's looked impressive. He, he, he's played, I think, three games in pre-season, and he's looked impressive. So it's pre-season All Stars again. It's yeah. all Arsenal all the time. Time. You can go by Arsenal all the time. So that's, uh, that's three quarters uh, at the back you know. four, and then Zinchenko is your left back. You go, but you probably start the season with your two from last season, which is Partey and Jacka. Then it's Odegaard, Martinelli, Saka, and Gabriel Jesus. It's not a bad team. Not bad. What happens when Tierney's fit? Who plays left back? Do you think? I'd be interested to see would they try Zinchenko in midfield? Yeah, they, with, yeah. Uh, well, they start him back. still, yeah. um, and maybe put him in ahead of. I'm not like Jacka has has been very very good at times over the last uh, eight months or whenever the turn of the year was but obviously there was a I think Arsenal showed their Achilles heel particularly that night against Tottenham and that was holding wasn't fantastic that night I know Jack had kind of looked weak at times when, when the, the, the Arsenal were really under pressure in those last 10 days of the season so maybe Zinchenko and, and Partey is something that you try out there Lekonga's played in, in pre-season and then you've got Vieira to come back into it so um, you're talking about players who can make a difference uh, from the bench this season that's going to be important because of Thursday nights Who's the captain? The club captain, or who is the club captain of Arsenal? Is it going to be Odegaard they're talking about? Odegaard is, is stepping into. That's right. Is that, yeah. Has that been confirmed? Yeah, it's been confirmed, but he's, he was speaking about it the last uh, over the last week, and he's he's up for it uh, by the by the sounds of it. It was Lacazette, was yes, the club that's captain? Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, slightly. We'll just, don't give it, just give it back to Jack again. Slightly mercurial, occasionally brilliant occasionally flaky forward 
I think that that would be fair comment of him at the start of last season. I think that he was excellent last year, and I, and I think that that was proven by the fact that I know he had his fitness worries, but I, I do think he doesn't start every single game the way he did if Smith Rowe was on the bench. Like Smith Rowe couldn't get into that team, and Martinelli's in front of him, and at times it was vice versa where Martinelli was starting ahead of Smith Rowe. I think Odegaard proved himself last season to be uh, less flaky than would, everybody thought. Would you not just let him develop as a player, as an individual, as opposed to now you are the leader of this team? Like the captain of Arsenal give it to like, something very important. Like Yeah, well it's been important in a bad way for so long. But exactly, but within the club it has this kind of weird power where it emboldens certain people and then others it has completely emasculated. So Yeah, like maybe you give it to someone like Ramsdale or Ben White and I, I, I don't know, maybe just because they're, they play at the back of the pitch they seem like more... Uh, captaincy material but you got to remember that Arsenal just have a very young squad like Edu was saying the other day that like, if you're over the age of 26 Edu hates you basically if, if you're listening to this morning and, and you are born after whatever 1995 Edu hates your guts unless you're really really good at football like he's kind of like spoken about their five year plan and how everybody over the age of 26 if, if they weren't performing well was just a millstone around the neck of the club he also did say actually that when they were coming up with the five year plan when they were appointing Arteta they went to the board and they were like 2022-23 that's the season we get good that's this season right okay so, this so the they had to qualify for, for the Champions League this season they, they've, they've put that on record and they've not shied away from it and um, you know what why not why not just lean into it all I'll be here at the end of the season no doubt after another demoralising uh, you know last gasp uh, bottle job on the Champions League where Chelsea will probably nip into fourth or Manchester United will and I'll be devastated again but look you're why predicting, not just get excited you're predicting Champions League football I think, I mean, the, I, I definitely think Tottenham are going to qualify for the Champions League and the, the, the top two will say the top two, I reckon. Then it's a three-horse race for that uh, fourth spot. The Ten Hag love is... is yeah, it's so hard to know. Yeah, it's very I, exciting. It, it could well be yeah, Arsenal exciting. versus uh, United for, for fourth, fourth as opposed to Chelsea. Who but did I, you say for third? Oh, Chelsea. Uh, Spurs. Spurs. Oh, really? Third. You Spurs think Spurs? Third. Yeah, definitely. And Not definitely, but I, that, that's City definitely to win the league again. Prediction. City Liverpool. Uh, I don't know who will win it. I haven't just thought about my predictions yet. City I, Liverpool top two, Spurs third. I think Liverpool might slip a bit. I don't think they've strengthened adequately. Well, Nunes is going to be the big answer to that question. Yeah, and I uh, think, you know, uh, the, overall though, uh, overall. the Andy Farrell lookalike um, trolls online will be feasting if he doesn't score on his uh, first couple of games of the season. So, I have two questions. Uh, number one, which uh, is the only club in the Premier League this season not to have got a new jersey? Villa. No. Arsenal. No. Man United. Um, no. Liverpool? No. Every team has a brand new jersey except... Tottenham. No. Okay, we're, we're, this is a very boring radio now. <laughs> this is right out there with satellite Brentford. taxes. Brentford, right? Because they're all about sustainability. Okay. Uh, they're conscious of the cost of fa- on fans. So they're going to have the same jersey as last season. And they got a new away jersey instead. So they're right. promoting that. But they're all about... Remember, it used to be two-year cycles back in the day. Yeah. 90s, 90s, they're going to try and bring that back in. And I think it should be a thing as well because, like, there's a new jersey every single season. Actually, every time Johnny Ward is on, he rants about this, there's the new jersey every single season. I I actually agree with him that it's a bad thing. Maybe if um, they brought out a new jersey, they would have been able to afford Christian Eriksen's wages for another season. (laughs) Possibly. Yeah, I'm pretty happy United got him, actually. And a second question... um, is from John in the live comments has Jer tried turning it off and turning it on I again I did actually I did exactly that was the first thing I did, did it work? And I, the good old restart no no it needed someone with some technical proficiency to come down and um, ho- hook it in they put a f- five cent in the meter and it worked nice yeah okay good to have you back okay uh, Martin Mark Dunning's also mentioned that Olegaard's captain of Norway there you go uh, so yeah there are different responsibilities like you know expectation uh 
in I guess expectation in Norway has improved somewhat in uh, recent years but not to the point where they're qualifying for stuff right no but I guess there is some level of um, experience I just think that no matter who you put the armband on right now at Arsenal they will seem inexperienced because it is a young squad there's no one there that you're like that guy's proven like I mean with the two guys I mentioned Ramsdale and Ben White were only at the club a year uh, Odegaard has an extra year to close. Like I, I don't, I don't think it's as big an issue as, as you think it is. Uh, okay, very quickly in the before we get to um, the lads, Rochford in the mix as Mayo line up their new bosses as Shane McGrath on the back page of the Daily Mail. Stephen Rochford is among the major names believed to be in the frame for the Mayo manager role, with deadlines for applications closing tomorrow evening. Uh, county board officials have indicated that a number of applications have already been received. Castlebar Mitchells are understood to have nominated Declan Shaw for the position. However, it's concentrated at the race is concentrated on three main ca- uh, candidates. Michael Solon, who managed the county to the All-Ireland Under-21 title in 2016. Ray Dempsey, who led county champions knock more to back-to-back senior titles. And Rochford, who brought Mayo to finals in 2016 and 2017. So, very quickly, uh, yesterday, obviously 24 hours ago, the Meath job and everything that happened around that, where Rochford's name was linked to the backroom team of Bernard Flynn, very quickly, that has been dispelled. The, the notion that he was going to be involved in any way as anything other than an advisor to set up the backroom team but it seems like he was never um, a confirmed member of uh, that backroom team and so now that kind of clears things up because you, you kind of you can't be you can't be two places in once and if it seems like he's definitely very keen to get back and take that Mayo job on again because it feels like there's a bit of unfinished business there yeah and he was he was a good Mayo manager and I think he was the Mayo manager who came closest so I'd like I, I know like 17 for me was the one of the most uh, regrettable uh, events in Mayo history even though there's a lot of regrettable events that came so close that day and like I think that maybe they, they, you can see why they want to go back to that try and uh, get, get the manager who, who brought them to that point I'm always just conscious about having these conversations because the guy who is the former Mayo manager is always going to be the most high profile like I have not seen enough of Knockmore or Casabar Mitchell to tell you how good those managers are and they could be outstanding candidates I th- to be fair, the same thing was happened with, with Rochester when he came in the first time. Although a lot of us had seen Kerr in play, so I, I'm not um, well placed enough to tell you who, how good the other two guys are as, as managers. But obviously, they're well-known Mayo figures, and it's going to be um, a good battle between them for it. But the temptation would definitely be there to go back for Rochester, you would think, because um, I, I guess Horn. Mark II wasn't a disaster they came close again obviously it petered out quicker than it did the, the, the first time it might just be a, quite a, a swift thing if they're going to win in All-Ireland they might have to do it next year Alright it's 7.48 OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day if you're a Mayo football fan tell us who you want and why we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show here's what's coming up between now and 10am Aaron Galan and Nicky Quaid are standing by we're going to talk to them in a moment Noel Healy is going to preview the All-Ireland football final which seems to be the end of this Meath team in many respects or potentially uh, the end of this Meath team me and Kerry take place, takes place this Sunday. Uh, sports pages will bring you uh, Virtual Insanity with John Duggan at 8.40. Martin Lipton is going to give us the Spurs preview of the season at 8.50. We're going to hear from Darren O'Reilly, who has um, got an interesting sports nutrition uh, project ongoing as a former rugby player. And then Mike Casey was chatting with Joe last night. We'll bring you that. So it's a bit of a Limerick special today uh, on OTB AM. And why wouldn't it be? What a, a, a unbelievable achievement from the team to do three in a row and... Um, I'm delighted to say both Aaron Galan and Nicky Quaid are with us this morning. Hey, Nicky, good morning to you. Aaron, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Morning, um, Nicky, when, when does your club competitions kick back into overdrive? Uh, all this weekend, over. everyone is out this weekend. Um, I think there might even be a few starting tonight towards Saturday and Sunday, so it's, uh, yeah, it's back into action straight away again. Right, no rest for the wicked. No, 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 but sure, look, it's, it's uh, nice to get back with the club when you've been away for so long, it's nice to get back into that again and 
obviously club players are mad to get going as well they've been you know, waiting for a long time to get started so it's, uh, it's nice to get started Aaron what were the celebrations like this time how do, you, how do they compare and contrast to previous years um, I suppose similar enough to 2018 um, we've been minting around Limerick there for a while um, it's kind of taken away for us, from us in 2020 and 2021 but I suppose we had to be sensible to a COVID but in saying that we still enjoyed ourselves but um, in my opinion no, I'd say this year was definitely the best week we had of it It definitely felt in the build up like the the fact that the stadium was going to be a full house made a difference like I know last year obviously there was 40,000 and we were all so grateful for the fact that there was an all Ireland final and there was fans there and it was a good occasion and still there was crazy noise being made last year but this year the stadium was genuinely rocking coming down the, the final 10 minutes did you notice a difference? Um, I suppose when you're playing maybe not no um, maybe when someone gets a big score or a point when it's coming down uh, the home stretch then you maybe might take a small bit of notice the, the noise in the crowd but I suppose what kind of stood out for me I actually went up to the football there last Sunday and it's only then I actually realised Gene like oh it was the same crowd at our match last week like this is just unreal so it was only actually the following week I really caught on to the crowd and the amount of people and the level of noise that was actually there Have you watched the game back yet? Um, I watch bits and pieces of it yeah I'm yet to actually sit down and watch the whole thing through but I definitely do it now before the weekend and uh, the bits and pieces you were watching back was it like clips of your own like the, the clips from the coaching ticket going here listen uh, you need to improve on this or well done on that was it uh, is it the official analysis has that already started uh, basically yeah uh, some people might think it's kind of stupid like watching back clips uh, once the year is actually over but I suppose just the routine we got into after every match this year to look back and analyse our own game and see how we get on and see where we can improve so yeah that's basically it to be honest Wow how did you get on? Grand uh, <laughs> in bits and pieces and not so great in other pieces so a few things to work on before we go back next year Right wow geez, that, that is hardcore Nicky how did, how did you get on? What, have you looked back at your bits yet? Yeah similar enough I suppose you don't I haven't sat down fully kind of by myself and watched the whole thing through but have watched highlights and bits and pieces of things and Obviously, there's areas that you're happy enough with and there's areas that you're disappointed with that you want to try and improve. And, and I suppose that's the only way you can, you can improve and get better going forward to next year that you, you know you have areas that you need to work on and uh, you know, hopefully improve them for when you get going again. You've obviously got a very different physical perspective in terms of like you see the whole pitch. Do you notice the crowds a little bit more then? Like, did you notice the fact that the stadium was entirely full down both sides when you were looking for the runs of, say, Aaron from the corner out to the side or from the side out to the, into the middle to find a bit of space? You're like, actually, you know what? There's, like, it's, hard, it's hard to see because there's like 40,000 bodies on one side and 40,000 on the other side. Um. Not necessarily no in the middle of the game. It's it's just more than noise, I suppose, that you do you do hear uh, you do notice that when like when there is scores and things that it is it is a bit lower. But sometimes to be honest with you, it's easier to play in a in a stadium that has people sitting there because you know, there's just more colour and often find when the stadium is empty it can be difficult enough to see even sometimes to see the ball depending on like if there's you know, grey seats completely all in the background and things like that it can be more difficult so sometimes when the stadium is is is, uh, is full or there's more people there it is that it would be easier to pick out people or pick out the ball um, I'll find anyway especially in certain stadiums um, it, it, depending on the colour of, of the seats if they are empty Do you remember much of the game afterwards or is it actually mainly through watching the video that you kind of remember bits of the game what, what's your memory like for it because different sports people can remember absolutely every single incident and then other people are like what happened in that game again how did that go 
Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be okay. No, yeah, I would remember a lot of it. Um, but that's what because physically, you know, I'm not. There's no running around really or anything. So it's more thinking involved for me during the games and anything. So I would remember a lot of the bits and pieces. Obviously, that you'd have to see back, and then once you'd see them back, you would kind of trigger. Oh yeah, I can remember that now. Um, so I would be okay, really, as remember different different bits and pieces of the game or each. And what bits from that game stick out for you now? Um, I suppose there's just a few buckles really that you'll be that you'll be kind of having in your head. You could see the pictures nearly in your head of what you were trying to do, and um, you nearly obviously the ones that didn't go well. They're the ones that you can see oh, what, what I should have probably done, or maybe that's the second after hit the ball. You realise oh, that wasn't probably the right option, or um, and then obviously the goals you can see you can nearly play all of those in your head and very well. And could could you have done something different for this or that and things like that? So those are probably the main ones that you stick out. It's nearly the mistakes that you can remember more so than than the good parts. Uh, we had uh, David Herity on the show last week, Dicky, and uh, he was complimenting you in your puckouts. He said his own experience is that it's quite often like the TV show Take Me Out, where the lights just start disappearing in front of you, whereas your teammates get marked out of it when you're standing over the puckout. Is that what it's like in an All-Ireland final, especially against a Kilkenny team? Uh, it's hard to know. Like, look, I suppose, to be fair, for me and our team... The goalie has a, a very, very small part to play in it, really. Like, it's all about the lads out the field and you know, the movement that they have and the space that they can create. You know, the goalie's part is probably just a very low percentage of that when the boys create the space and they nearly basically kind of force you to, okay, this is where you have to put it because that's where the space is and that's where I'm moving. Um, the decision is nearly made for you. So it's it's more down to the lads out the field and how they how they set up and create their space and um, more so than actually the goalie. The execution part is probably the easiest part, really, to be honest with you. Aaron, traditionally, uh, forwards on the inside line would have been able to have a little bit of a rest when the ball was down the far end of the field. It doesn't sound like you guys are allowed to rest because you have to try and make the run to create some space. So what's that like? When when do you know when to set off on your runs? Is it as soon as the ball goes wide, you make your move? Or do you wait until Nicky has the ball in his hands and then try and create the separation? Um, I suppose like different players play different way, different ways. Um, I suppose myself, like I've got used to playing with, I suppose, Dearmas now and it's just ideal tees in the half back line with Patrick Swell and with Limerick so like I've came to understand his game very well so I know basically what he's going to do with the ball straight away so um, that definitely benefits me in winter hole my run and winter run um, I'd like to think sometimes it maybe buys you a yard or two um, but then even over the last couple of years just getting to know the likes of Dick's game uh, Dan when, he, when he's half back Kyle when he's half back it's just understanding them and knowing what their preference is and then I suppose relaying to what your preference of ball in and all this so just about working together really getting a good understanding of each other Is there a common theme in there somewhere Aaron like is there something that uh, Dermot and Kyle and Declan all like you to do as an inside forward um, I suppose just keep moving to be honest um, I suppose try and make the play as easy as possible for them you know just be an option and just be an outlet for them and like if I'm making the run, they're definitely going to put the ball there. So at the end of the day, it's up to me to win it. Um, the the free taking this year uh, has been off the charts in terms of the particularly the long range frees. Um, like when you have that in your team, does that give you comfort as a free taker as well to know that like look, uh, or does it also actually kind of inspire you and drive you on to make sure that your level is as high as Burns' level is? Um, a bit of both to be honest um, we'd have a bit of slagging against each other if one of us missed one but to be fair to Dermot it was it was very uh, rare this year when he missed one I think he scored one there in the fine maybe 
back in his own 45 and like he just can further I'd say squad. yeah fell yeah. out from Hill 16 <laughs> um, no you just have confidence of him standing over the ball from anywhere and it's just it's just a great tool to have in any team I suppose you know because you came through obviously and um, the freeze seemed to help you as, as a young as a young player to get into teams and then obviously your, your game developed further from that because like I, I think if I'm right in saying there were some minor teams you were on there were other minor teams you weren't there was an under 21 team you were on and off and then Eventually, you you know you started racking up the big scores. How important was it having somebody like him in the club who was completely dead eye? Um, I suppose it's nice going into games. Like initially, when I started off, I never actually took freeze. Um, I actually started taking freeze for the Persuade senior team when our real free taker Jack Keller got injured, and then Gary Kirby was actually over us at the time, so he asked me would I take him. So I was like, I chance it sure, but. Like I knew myself that Deirman was going to come up as far as the 65 so like I didn't have to worry about so, you know this is going to be a tough free for me way out the field you know I just had the comfort of knowing Deirman was always there and just like you can tell by you can just always rely on him you know um, the man just doesn't feel pressure just you know when the ball goes down it's going one place and that's just straight over the bar so as I said no fair play to him he's just unreal him so, so you you essentially become a, a free taker relatively late, or it's it's not something that you were always it wasn't always your role. So, so how do you get into the the habits that free takers always talk about in terms of routine and the repetition that that's required to, to put the ball between the posts? Um, simple enough, really. It's not a short answer, but like you just have to put in the work and put in the practice. You know, um, I suppose initially when I started taking frees, as I said, Gary Kirby was our. Uh, club manager and he was one of the best free takers Limerick ever had so um, getting advice off him definitely stood to me and then like bringing on that part of my game another bit um, credit is definitely due to Paul Knock and it's just um, the mindset he gave me and just the knowledge he gave me being able to stay free so no credit to both him let's What sort of advice are we talking? And give away all our secrets here. <laughs> but um, no, it just helped me tune in a bit and just get a routine and like um, focus on the actual free and not focus on the occasion and all that sort of crack. So uh, simple I, enough, really. Yeah, just one other question from what you said earlier on, Aaron. You, you spoke about the fact that you got into a routine of watching games back or doing your video analysis after every game. Was there a particular moment in this season where the video analysis was particularly truthful or, or harsh and and you came away reeling a little bit as players or or are they usually fairly positive experiences from your own perspective? Um, I suppose collectively as a team there's definitely always things that we definitely be happy with after games um, but in same saying that there's always stuff to work on that you know and individually as well it's the exact same thing you know you might have done I might have taught you played uh, relatively well but there's always going to be something that did kind of annoy you that you could have done better and that's the thing that's going to stick out you know um, that's the thing you're going to go back on Tuesday and Friday and that's what you're going to be focusing on and trying to perfect like you know it's almost as if the good things you did in the match go straight out the window but just kind of get into a mindset of constantly wanting to improve so that's just the way we kind of work I suppose And is that kind of your own mentality or do you sometimes need a coach to tell you this is what you did wrong? Um, to be fair like we do have top class coaches um, like some of the video analysis we do with Shawnee uh, he breaks out fairly simple for us so it's very plain to see but you know, if ever we need advice after like Sir Paul or Angus or Dodd or any of them so they're always there so I couldn't fault any of them 
Nicky, you, you've obviously been around the uh, inter-county scene for a, a bit longer than Aaron and you've kind of seen the evolution of this great team. When did you start to realise how great this team could be or was becoming? What was the kind of bit where you're like, ooh, this is different? Um, I suppose to be honest with you, back in the 17, you could kind of just see, like we were, I suppose, working with Paul for whatever it was, the six or eight months at that stage and was you could kind of see maybe a little change and we felt that obviously we're really disappointed with that loss to Kilkenny down in Nolan Park but I did kind of feel that maybe just coming into that game there was a little slight change that when things had been picking up and the younger lads into the squad looked like they were feeling a bit more at home um, and then and then 2018 I think probably probably the league of 2018 down in Salt Hill um, for me was probably a game still that you could go back to that you know we were I don't know eight or ten points down at half time and we've been stuck in Division 2 or going to be whatever it was for, for so many years um, to come out on top of that game it did just feel like just a little change I suppose that yeah look we can we can mix it with the best and they were obviously our champions and to come out with that one point win up there um, was a huge boost for us and then I suppose we went down to be clear um, in a real like after extra time we went to that free taking competition and just to get over those those few games probably um, you know I think from then it kind of we really started to believe then that yeah look we can we can mix it with the best of them and then to get the first round win against Tip in that in that 2018 championship was probably similar. So I suppose those maybe six weeks from before the Galway game to to the Tip game, they were probably really ones that we really really believed um, that yeah this is you know we we can mix it with all, with the top teams at the moment. And because that that's a time of the year where it's difficult to produce your best hurling that like I don't know I, you know don't want to reach for the cliches but actually it's the guts and and determination that decide a lot of those league games as opposed to the lovely patterns of play that we see later on in the year when everybody's making those runs or actually were you guys able to implement the style of play that you wanted even in slightly you know the whatever the March, April, May weather conditions were like um, I suppose you could maybe just start to see it coming through like what Paul and Jonathan wanted us to do could just start that to see coming through and then you, when you pick up the results then you just I suppose you really start to believe and trust in that process then um, which obviously, like that time of year, it is you know, the weather is poor and the pitches are softer, and it does take a lot of like that just, just hard work and determination and things. And I suppose to get over that line in Salt Hill that day, it was, it was a very windy day and things like that to, to just scrape over that line with a lot of young lads. I think um, I might have even been Kyle, Kyle is that it was injuring for a lot of that year, and he came on, I think maybe that day for his first league game, and Graham might have been the same. And there's a few lads kind of coming back, and you just felt that the squad is getting stronger now. And, Oh, we can hopefully push on from here. Can I ask you about your own game? When, like, how does that evolve over that period of time as well? Is that about conversations around puck out strategy? Because, like, you know, puck out strategy has been important in hurling basically since you know Don Logue's era, and maybe even a little bit before that, where they were doing short puck outs. You know, you guys took it to a completely different level, obviously. But did that evolve as time went on as well? And, and how did that thinking? Where did that come from? Um, yeah, I suppose look to also like Aaron touching it there, it's probably down to, to Sean O'Donnell in particular for me, who's our, our um, video analysis that he like I would have done a bit of work with him and he would have just I suppose explained, you know just basically put it out there in pictures for you and just show you the benefits of doing this and doing that and doing something else and like when you can see it visually then on the camera, you know, there's no there's no hiding place really as such like that you can see this is the benefits of doing this and you know, it's sort sort of the team, whether it's whether it's long, whether it's short, or whatever it is, and you just get an understanding of that through Sean again and how good he can put that together for you. So I suppose he will he had a huge impact, I suppose, on, on me personally and uh, the work that you can do to visually see the see the 
see the pitch and help like with, with that sort of thing. And are you are you trying to hit people as you see them, or are you trying to hit people as they're going to be in a second and a half? Like you know, because you've obviously got to take into account their movement. It's a bit like it seems a little, little bit like quarterbacking, where you're trying to throw people open. You're trying to hit people open, are you? Well, look, it obviously depends on the situation, and, and you know, different teams will throw up different. Um, I suppose setups to you and you have to work, try and work around that and look I suppose we have some unbelievable lads in the half hour line that can move but they can also stand another puck out and look to you know contest the 50-50 and probably come out maybe come out on top 8, 7, 6, 7, 8, eight times out of 10 in that so look it's not, I suppose it's not a set in stone thing it's something that we can kind of, we see that maybe we can adapt to different opposition and, and the way the game is going in certain ways as well so it's not no, it's not. We do this every game, and that's just it. Like you know. One last question on this: the, the patience to stand there on All Ireland final day with you know the team's level with five minutes left to go, and not to rush it. Do you have a routine to calm you down and go? Okay, I'm just going to going to take my full a lot of time here, and I'm going to wait for whatever it is to arrive. Because it definitely felt like you were just calming everything down and making sure that everybody understood we have control of this. We've got this. Don't worry. What what's gone through your mind at that stage? At that stage, a couple minutes ago, I was probably get the ball as far away as possible. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair uh, for the last five or six minutes, I think the fact that Coyle and, and Garold were playing so well, like I just picked up the ball and you know, instantly just look right where the two boys, which is the best option, I just put down top of them because you know, they were winning probably 80 or 90% of the ball that was going down top of them. So that was probably the thing. And if they're moving, look, you try and put it in front of them. And if they're standing, you try and put it maybe in front of them to their advantage or down top of their head because you know this. You know, we'll get bodies around the break anyway you know, I suppose so look the last couple of minutes is more like that <laughs> trying to get the ball away from the goals as possible and hopefully that you can win it and keep it on the other end of the field uh, the puck outs is, is one element of it shot stopping is another Aaron how good is Nicky at shot stopping I'm sure you've tried to beat him in training a good few times you'd actually leave training some days and you'd go home and your head would be erect and you'd just be annoyed with yourself because like you could be five or six yards out and your man just pulls a, sta- a save out and over and you would be taken next thing he starts laughing oh you're after hitting me in the elbow you're after hitting me in the knee like you <laughs> put into the net or something he'd just be trying to drive you mad like you know um, I suppose but as the years go on and kind of getting used to it so it's kind of coming to the fact now it's nearly harder to score against him than it, or it's nearly harder to, yeah it's harder to score against him than it is to score yeah it's um, I wonder does that feed into Hegarty's finish as well in the final, Aaron, just <laughs> having to pick the postage stamp from that position. Yeah, look, I suppose we're used to, we're used to just, it has to go, when we're in training, like with Nicky and Barry and Dave McCarthy, like three unbelievable goalies, so like we know we're not going to get anything softy against them, so if it is going to be a goal, it has to be a top-class finish. But like, Garod's finish in the final was, if there's a word better than top class, like I was just standing there for about 30 seconds there, my mouth open in awe, you know, I just couldn't believe it. And especially, to be fair, Owen Murphy scored against him as another top class goalie, so just an absolute cracker. What, what is, what's your go-to method for goal scoring at the moment, Aaron? Like, I mean, the one that we see often is just bouncing in front of the goalkeeper, obviously, uh, Garo's goal was, was not that, but uh, what, what's your uh, go-to method? Do you have like a habit that you fall back on if you get yourself into a goal scoring opportunity? Definitely not kicking it, are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely not kicking it. We changed that a few years ago too and I'm still waiting for one to go in. <laughs> um, no, but I suppose I was getting enough slagging off the lads there in the years gone by that any time I went through and goal, I'd try and hit it into the roof or into the top corner. But 
they nearly all all ended up going over, you know. So I suppose over last year or two, just kept it simple as possible. If I get a goal, chance just low off the ground into the corner, and they're paying off more than the high ones. Thank God. How hard are they to save, Nicky? Yeah, very hard. Look, I, I suppose every intercounty forwards, like they, their striking ability is so good, it's very difficult to save that. And um, sometimes they're just better off hoping that you get in the way and it just hits off you. Um, more so than to because you know, the speed that the ball can go at is um, is very very quick. So look, in fairness to the boys, like you can see every night of training, they're working on it before training starts. See our lads are you know, doing a bit of shooting practice or they're working for goals and they're doing many competitions between themselves. So it comes down to that hard work. I suppose really it doesn't just automatically happen, you know. And I suppose when you can continuously put in that hard work, it's just probably ingrained in you know, like that. You know, this is where I want to put to put it, and automatically just happens. Then feel that it's you know, you're aiming going to the corners or you're aiming to the corners straight away even when you are in the in the most difficult of situations um, Aaron the All-Ireland final against the Kilkenny side who had beaten you in a semi-final who you had beaten and who are developing rivalry with uh, did it matter that it was Kilkenny in the final did, was there anything extra about that um, not for us I don't think so anyway uh, maybe the the media and the people like the crowd and the people outside of our circle going to the match maybe they could have made something of it but no not for us look we still focus on what we have to do doesn't matter who we're playing um, and I know it's probably a boring answer but that's actually the truth you know we just focus on ourselves really we obviously have a look at the opposition but don't delve too deep into um, then we know what we have to do against them and it doesn't matter if that's Kilkenny, Waterford, Tip, anyone really, it doesn't matter. Did the three in a row matter or did that get spoken about at all at any stage? Um, during the year, no, it definitely hadn't been spoken about. Um, probably haven't actually had the opportunity to sit down and talk about it since the final as well, to be honest. But it's just a nice feeling knowing that it's there and that it's over and done with us. I suppose all we can do now is kind of park it, go back. Um, give her all with the clubs enjoy this and then uh, back again there to start the January I suppose you kind of have to approach it that way because you're in the middle of trying to create even more history like you've created some history but if you were to rest in your laurels at this stage or to consider the fact that you've made history then it becomes too big a thing in your head and uh, trying to beat that becomes almost less important um, is that is, there, is is that like we can't think about this until it's over because if we do then it might end quicker um, we, no, like to be fair, like we have taught, we talked about it over the last week. Like we definitely celebrated it over the last week, and I'm sure there'll be times there over the Christmas, and we'll sit down and we'll think about this as a great achievement. But like we're not to dwell on it either. Like you know, if you're going back training there in January and you think, oh, our work here is done, you know, we're only going to be fooling ourselves and we're wasting our own time, you know. So we've a short, old, short enough old career, I suppose. So. Like there's no secrets, but like you want to win as much as you can as long as you're playing. Like so, like I suppose we're not going to be settling for three, you know. So we just want to keep driving on as much as we can. Yeah. So Nicky, I'm hearing you're not going to be happy until you've beaten the Great Kilkenny team's record and done the full five because you know we all know that they fell short. So it's you guys against Kilkenny for history. Look, that is, I suppose, like maybe that'll be something thrown out there, but there's nothing that's to do with. No, I wasn't in any more thinking before last Sunday and it's, it's, isn't it going to be in any we're thinking moving forward um, obviously look it might be a story that media or whatever we'll, we'll try and talk about but for us it's just going to try and improve ourselves every day and, and like Aaron said get the best out of ourselves um, and try and win as much as you can 
know, records and things like that don't really come into it as such. Like it's just we're trying to compete with our, I suppose, ourselves and, and make sure that we're improving um, every night and that we're driving each other on and keeping our standards nice and high. Um, and that's all. That's all you can do, I suppose, and to keep driving our own standards. Um, and hopefully, then that will or our performances will stay improving. Anytime we ask any of the Kilkenny lads who would win in a match between the 0708 Kilkenny and you guys, they're like, ah, we'd still win. So I'm going to start asking you guys now because that's, that's only fair. It's your chance to, to get back. Who'd win? Nicky, you, you probably played against that team a couple of times. So, uh, your current team or the team that won in say 07 or 08? I'd probably say them, yeah. They had some unbelievable hurdles. <laughs> You've been practicing this answer, it seems. <laughs> Aaron, tell no, us the look, truth. It's so hard. To, it's so hard to compare. Look, I was lucky enough, like I said, to play against two of those lads. Um, and you know, when I was growing up, then they were heroes of mine. You know, they were people that you'd look up to. Like, and they had, so, like, said, JJ Leany, Tommy Walsh, Henry. All these lads were incredible hurlers, and John did so many more. They were, I suppose, they were a joy to watch for me growing up. They were, I suppose, what made you. I remember being in Crow Park in 07. Um, on, 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 standing on the hill and I suppose you were deflated because they had beaten Limerick in the other final but I suppose it was part of it then that you said to say look we're witnessing an unbelievable team here like, and it was you know, something that I suppose would stick with me for, forever Aaron I presume you're going to not say Kilkenny you, you'd fancy a crack off that team right? To be honest I can't say I do um, I'm already thinking here to myself imagine if we were playing them I'd probably run around the field my hurley out asking Tommy Walsh or JJ Leary to sign it or something so it'd be hard to play against them <laughs> Well, when you do five, you can come back and tell us the truth on that one. One last one, just uh, Brian Cody, obviously, um, I, I think we, we um, were talking about it during the week and, and he would have come into the changing room after games against Limerick saying that like we need Limerick at the top table and uh, certainly talking about it this week, that seemed to be an inspiration for some of your, your former colleagues in particular. So when you heard that he was um, retiring, what did you make of it? Was there a, was there anything that you were thinking at that stage, Nicky? That um, you know, this is like one of the all time great GA careers, and actually the last match that he's been in charge of was an epic All Ireland final that we came out the right side on. What was your immediate reaction? Um, I suppose. Look, uh, my first reaction is you know what a loss he's going to be to the game. I suppose, like I, like I said, I grew up obviously watching those teams, and you know, I can remember back in ninety nine when he got involved first and. Like to, to his longevity, see what he's got. He's like, he is the Sir Alex Ferguson really of, of um, GA, to be fair to me. His record, you know, second to none, and he'll be just a huge loss to the game, obviously to Kilkenny um, in particular, but to the game. He'd be an inspiration, I suppose, of, of every every GA player to look up to and how he carried himself, I suppose, on and off the field, how competitive he was right until the final whistle um, last Sunday from his very first game till, till, till the last day, and I suppose, look to. To have played against him and you know, being his company a few times is, has been a privilege and an honour for me. And um, I suppose I can say it's just so. Wish him well in his, in his retirement, and he would be a huge loss last to the game. Well, listen, enjoy the uh, club championship season, and thanks a million for making the time to talk to us. It's uh, it really is an incredible achievement. You are history makers, and I'm sure at some point over the winter you'll get to enjoy the fact that that uh, three in a row is really rare. Very, 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 very few human beings have ever experienced it. So, thanks a million to Aaron Galan and Nicky Quaid for joining us this morning. Cheers, lads. If you've uh, got anything you want to get off your chest, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or you can always uh, leave a comment in the YouTube stream as well. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. After the break, we're going to be joined by five-time Dublin All-Ireland winner Noel Healy to preview the Women's All-Ireland Football Final this weekend between me and Kerry. First, here's another All-Ireland winner at Limerick, Mike Casey, talking with Joe last night about the greatness of Keane Lynch. Did you win a hearty cup 
say, I, 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 in your school days with Keen Lynch, you, you guys would go back that far, would you? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay. I, I um, we were in the same year in school, so yeah, we, uh, we'd be doing, uh, doing CBS and to get a crowns, I would say, in 14 together, right. yeah. Right. Uh, Was it obvious that uh, the boy could do his thing on a hurling pitch even then? Uh, he's he's been incredible since he was ten years of age. You know, since we first got onto, I remember playing Mackey Cup with him uh, under twelve hurling um, in the city, and um, like he was as good then as he is now. Um, some of the, the tricks and flicks and things that he could do. Um, I remember he did a it was it a freestyle competition went out there. We were I'd say we were fourth or fifth year in school. Right. And he just went out the back messing around and, and put a video up, and the, and the team went mad. So he he's been able to do it for for years like you know, he, he's, he's absolutely incredible like what he can do on, on the hurling field you know yeah he has that look alright because actually I was reading that even in the training match in advance of the final where he injured his leg and it's such a pity for him that even in that game apparently he was lighting it up yeah he, he definitely yeah there was there was puck outs that were coming down on top you know that were they were just his hand is like a magnet like you know, wherever it went it managed to fall into, into his hand you know so um, he was definitely putting his hand up for, for a starting spot definitely <laughs> OTB AM With Gillette Get into your flow With the new Gillette Labs Razor With exfoliating bar So it is Meath against Kerry In the All-Ireland Football Final This coming Sunday uh, afternoon And Meath looking to go back to back Kerry looking to do obviously The uh, double this year Men's and women's But it'll be a first one for them Since the 90s I'm delighted to say Noel Healy joins us now To help preview the game Noel good morning to you How are you getting on? Morning yeah not too bad at all Um. Who who in your head is the favourites for this game? I I can't really look past Meath. Um, I know they've looked a little bit ropey or kind of nervy in in their games coming up, but they also look to have improved an awful lot um, in every game that they've played. Um, I think they looked really composed at the finish there um, against Galway, working the score. And then again, I was really impressed with the way they kind of clawed back against um, Donegal and just reeled them back in and really composed finish as well um, I think you can't look past the kind of bit of confidence um, and extra mileage I think that being All-Ireland Champions gives you um, and being you know experienced in that kind of cauldron of Croke Park at this is their fifth All-Ireland final in a row um, between senior and intermediate so it is kind of hard to look past Meads at the moment uh, There's been a sense that this is the end of this Meath team in some respects now I, I, Vicky Wall's obviously gone down to play um Australian rules and there's a couple of others going as well but the coaching backroom team has already it's clear that they're going to be breaking up does that does that help or hinder in a way because it's like uh, look this is one last one last tour for this group uh, as the group is going to be constituted that there is definitely going to be change next year in some ways you might I don't know you might be inspired to greater things but in other ways it might be a little bit of a distraction yeah I was actually surprised that, that it even kind of came out beforehand it seemed like an unusual thing to be focusing on and, and talking about um, you know even from the you know last Christmas after after the final they were saying no they didn't want to be a one hit wonder they're already kind of putting themselves as like we want to be on All-Ireland Champions again that's our focus you know it's kind of it's very it's a very different narrative from what you would have heard before and I suppose even we would have said about like you know it's all just about the next game the next we're not looking any further past that and you know in fairness to them, it's, it's, a, it's refreshing I suppose to kind of hear that honesty um, but I think it does it, it can put a bit of pressure on you I think last year they would have come in as underdogs you know that kind of shackles off their back nothing to lose um, you know freedom about their play whereas this year yeah they, I suppose there is something not to lose but I suppose I there's, there's more um, 
there's more on them like you know a kind of feeling you know, of inevitability there's not like oh well, we can just do it next year or you know well you know who matters what happens there's yeah there is kind of feeling that's reaching the end of the road I saw you know obviously Vicky and Orla are going over to Australia I had read yesterday that Emma Troy who's huge for them um, I think is, is going travelling as well You're using your, your backroom team that they seem to have a very strong connection to so um, I think it could you know put I suppose a little bit of un- unknown pressure on them is that like you know we have to get this done and you know I, I kind of thought in the Leinster final when they when they were playing against Dublin we always you know we know that they have that defensive structure but they did I thought play kind of overly defensive and kind of overly a little bit scared in the first half and kind of drew Dublin on them and that's kind of been a little bit of a pattern that's followed them throughout their play as well when you know they've kind of drawn teams on them with Donegal they kind of because they play so defensively you know you're almost giving the team a bit of oxygen and a little bit more space to play with them more time on the ball so um, that could go against them a little bit but still you know I would I would think that the, the backroom team would kind of be astute enough to try manage that within themselves you know it's always kind of well and good what people are saying to the media I think they probably have you hope have a different narrative of themselves within kind of their own their own group I definitely want to ask about that that style of play, but just to go back to kind of the first part of that answer, Noel is is part of the reason why they're happy enough to talk about next year and the people stepping away, especially from a management perspective. Is that because there's a genuine concern for where the game is going and for the the, the threat to the women's game in Ireland at the moment? I'm not sure. Um, it's definitely been a pity, I think, throughout the summer that nearly every big headline story that you see about the LGFA at the moment seems to be what big player is either rumoured to be going or, or it's kind of confirmed to be going over to the, AF- the AFL. Um, and that is very worrying, um, for sure. You know, you have somebody like Vicky Wall, who's probably in the prime of her career, you know, such an exciting player to watch, um, brings such a different style to Gaelic football, you know, really is one of those players that people kind of sit forward and, and you know, take notice of when they get the ball there's always that air of expectation that something's going to happen um, and you know we'll, we'll miss that from, from our game so I don't know if that's what's on, on their mind in terms of on Mead's mind but it's certainly you know something that I think has this year of all years become very apparent um, in, in the coverage of, of the ladies football For sure like are, are you concerned as well about, about what's going to happen over the next couple of years? Um, yeah, for sure. I think it's it's you know it's been fine at the moment because you know people have been able to to do both. We were lucky with Dublin that the girls were you know kind of given the leeway and, and given the freedom to to be able to participate fully in our in our season. But you know if, if you're losing that and if you're battling with not only other sports um, and other interests in Ireland, but kind of you know that calling of you know which is completely understandable of the chance of, of playing in a professional setup, you know, in lovely weather and, you know, that opportunity to kind of combine that little bit of traveling and that little bit of different experience after college. Um, you know, that's, that's understandable that people are going to, are going to jump for that. And I think it would be very unfortunate that we'd lose our, our, our players to that, you know, and, you know, would it diminish our, this, the spectacle that the, the ladies football has as well? Like, it is certainly something that, that you would be worried about because I just can't see it as being sustainable that the girls would be either allowed or, you know, physically even able to, to combine the two of them. I think it's an awful lot to expect somebody to finish one season, jump on a long haul flight, you know, and all the emotions around that as well and, and seeing your family or leaving your family and then come back over here and starting into, into another season. 
I thought there was a really interesting quote from Declan Quill, the, the Kerry co-manager during the week. He was saying that himself and, and Dara Long were, were driving up in the car and they were asking, would David Clifford ever go to Australia? He said, I think David Clifford has so much to stay around Kerry for because he has a fan base that is just unbelievable. He's a superhero to the kids down there. He can probably have his choice of jobs and whatever he chooses to do. I don't see the attraction of him going to Australia, whereas for a girl who is playing ladies football, it might be, oh Jesus, I'm going to make my money and live a lovely lifestyle over there, whereas here I mightn't even get recognised on the street now, like he doesn't necessarily say it but is there kind of like a wider conversation there Noel about what's actually keeping players here given the incentive there is for men's players to hang around and uh, and to play football in Ireland um, not that I've been part of but I can imagine that it would play in people's minds I mean it's been again well documented just how out of pocket a lot of the ladies football players are um in playing, you know, in, in playing for your county, via travel expenses, um, we certainly don't have the same access to the same amount of grants and things like that. Um, and even, you know, for if you're, you know, it, it's supposed to, it, it's changed, and I think, you know, since I've left, I, I think it has improved a little bit. But even just like those appearance fees or things like that, if you're, you know, doing sponsorship um, and promotion things, certainly when I would have been playing, you know it was kind of an unspoken thing that the men were, were getting an, you know an awful lot more than, than the girls were getting but we were kind of just you know starting to be unhappy I suppose with the exposure that we were starting to get um, so certainly I can imagine that if you know people if that's where they want to make their money and spend most of their time doing is, is playing their sport they can do that you know not only I think it's not only in a place where they can make money or have a fan base but just I think where they can be you know, afforded to be very well looked after and supported um, in terms of access, even just to medical staff and, you know, from an injury point of view as well and strength and conditioning. And while that, that has improved an awful lot, um, you know, hugely, there's fantastic setups in a lot of the inter-counties around, um, you know, it's, it's not anywhere near what you'd see the kind of juggernauts of the men's game having. It's interesting because that, that came up this week with um, Anna Gavin, the, the Kerry captain, who I think had been involved in the photo shoot for the Centre of Excellence. And then it turned out they weren't given access to it immediately. They had to fight for access to it. And then eventually they got access to it. But it wasn't taken as a matter of course. It was like, OK, Grant, we'll, we're going to use you to highlight the fact that this now exists, but we're not going to give you equal access to it. And apparently it's been fixed, so in fairness. Uh, but at the same time, the attitude in the first place was wrong, clearly. It's like... Why would you be getting the same access? Um, so there's still there's still loads to go. I do wonder how you feel about the condensed season and the mirroring of it because it feels like we're coming up on the All Ireland Football Final this weekend a little underprepared, uh, a little less familiar with the players than we should be. Like the Dubs game and Dublin going out of the championship at the stage that they did wasn't as, as big a story as it would have been if uh, or as it should have been. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that it didn't get the, the coverage that it did I mean you'd, you know when the, the men lost at this you know at the semi-final stage but last year there was you know a huge amount of write-ups about it at the end of an year and things like that and um, I was so surprised with how under the radar it went I'm sure the girls were delighted that they didn't have to face into it and they were kind of able to get on with, with themselves afterwards but um, it, it is such a pity because you know it, it, I think it is such a big story especially with Dublin and Cork and kind of the the big presence that they've had in the, in the ladies football championship over the last nearly 20 years at this stage well it's been 10 years um, no 20 years at this stage but um, and both of them are gone a quarter final stage it kind of it's I can understand why they did it because I suppose you know on the face of it it's kind of the, the football season and it kind of goes with the, with that but I, I think 
the camogie and the, the ladies football championship has kind of just been lost amongst all of it um, you know you're still kind of hearing stories about you know what the brilliant final the, the, between Kerry and Galway were, were at the weekend and now it's kind of only starting to, to pick up about the ladies football final there were you know the, the quarterfinal stages you know all, all the provincial finalists losing it was a phenomenal you know the phenomenal results from it they were brilliant games and I think you know unless you kind of have a specific interest in it and you go out and search it, it it does kind of get lost amongst it and it does affect then the profile of the players that are playing and the profile of the teams that are playing and kind of the build up to the championship as well um, I think another kind of factor about, about you know the condensed final might fit into it as well or, or affect is that the ladies football final would traditionally kind of rely an awful lot on you know the younger spectators and buses of, of younger spectators that schools would organise um, and clubs would organise and now you've got a situation I mean I don't know how ticket sales are going or anything like that but potentially where you're facing to a time where a lot of people are away it's an August bank holiday where people are going to be as w- away as well so I don't know how that's going to affect attendances and, and you know the, the atmosphere that's going to be created as well so um, yeah, like nobody really wants to be everybody wants to be playing football kind of in, in the height of the summer but you also want to be playing in front of big crowds and, and big atmospheres so you know I think if they maybe push it out by, by a month or two um, it wouldn't have done any harm because it probably is something that at the moment as well you know as I said with, with ladies football they, they probably do need to kind of have a bit more of a, a story about themselves rather than what players are going or you know players that are unhappy with the with the situation of the, of the expenses and stuff that they're getting so you know it probably yeah. would have been a, a bit of an easier win for them well when you think about it like the the GA media is crying out for some inter-county action everybody like not everybody but loads of people are complaining TD Alan Dillon has a press release out at the minute saying oh the, the men's inter-county season needs to be elongated we're handing it over to other sports it's like well they could just hand it over to the women's game which would be perfect you know we could have two months now where the women's game is on every weekend on terrestrial TV and everybody's watching because it's top quality inter-county action between competitive sides it, it feels like there's an easy solution to this yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's it. You put the nail on the head there. I mean, yeah, it's not like we're, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same organisation. It's the same game. Follow it on. You can support your county. I'm pretty sure the people in Kerry would be more than happy to go for another few months in, in following around, you know, their team as well. So um, it is a pity. I think, you know, they probably just took the easy route out and just kind of followed the, followed the men's. I don't know, were they worried about getting access to pitches when the club season kicked off? With the men's team, that's always an issue as well. So you know, it's hard to know what the what the the sense or the reasoning was behind that decision to just follow the the men's structure. Yeah, um, hopefully they can revisit. How do these two teams match up, Noella? You say at the start it's hard to look past me, but that ultra defensive approach, like uh, you can see the burden heavy lies the head that wears the crown. Like the burden of trying to defend your title is completely different from last year when they could smash and grab as essentially a Division 2 team who just got promotion and uh, were like for the first time uh, up there in the big leagues and able to go almost under the radar uh, whereas this team is now the ones that are up against a team coming from you know not nowhere but like um, certainly under the radar and it's a completely different scenario from a psychological perspective Yeah completely you have to change your your whole like not ethos of your team but your whole kind of psychological priming of your team really because absolutely you're kind of going in with that chip on your shoulder especially a Meade team going up against a Dublin team um, where you've you know kind of endless motivation everybody's riding us off nobody believes that we can do this 
you know, they, they backed up big performances by beating Armad and beating Cork and kind of were, you know, on a really good run going into the final last year. Whereas this year, you know, all the stories are about them everywhere they go out. Everybody knows who they are around Mead. There's a lot of expectation amongst, you know, Mead fans as well um, with them. So, you know, just kind of nowhere really, I'd say a lot of the time for them to hide away, away from it. Um, but that can work in two ways you know I'm, I'm sure they can take a bit of energy from that as well and a bit of confidence um, from it and from the support that they're getting but yeah look they've I suppose people are, are much more aware of kind of what they're going to bring and you know the, the type of players that they have as well um, you know you look at the, the likes of, of Vicky Wall last year she had a phenomenal year um, you know was was uh, by streets ahead I'd say you know kind of player of the year with her performance that she put in in the final I thought she was brilliant um, and then this year I think people have kind of started to get to grips with her a little bit and kind of started to frustrate her a little bit and she's probably not playing up to her own standards that she would have um, had before so yeah it's, it's, there's a lot of challenges for them because then you know other players have to step up and I think Stacey Grimes has been doing that for them this year I think they've been brilliant um, but in fairness to them I mean you know they haven't tried to change too much they haven't gone away from what they are you know they've if it's not broke don't fix it and they're, they've stuck to that kind of defensive structure and then fast break um, that has stood them well in the past and um, you know I think on an, on an open pitch in Crow Park the conditioning that they have um, if they play with that kind of bravery and not sit back too much um, and you know sacrifice kind of one or two players like keep Stacey Grimes or keep um, Emma Duggan a little bit higher up the pitch as, their, as that outlet um, I think they could yeah I, I think it you know, they could cause Kerry an awful lot of trouble. Like the the flip side of that is that Kerry have been playing, it seems anyway, without any sort of fear because maybe they just don't have any baggage at all from the last few years or not being in the conversation for All-Ireland uh, glory at all. And in the semi-final, it was just the, the plundering of goals that that won them the game. As I say, just a, a, attacking with with this level of chaos. So I presume that gets muted to a, to a huge degree against that Meath defence. Yeah, it's hard to know. Um, like, it's funny on the front of it, Kerry look like this kind of young, fresh team, but um, they actually probably have some of the, apart from uh, Donegal, would have probably most, some of the most experienced players in it. I mean, you've Louise Nimerhertig, who's been playing, I'd say she's probably nearly in her 13th or 14th season playing with the with the Kerry senior team. Um, Emma Costello or Emma Sherwood, um, Caught Lynch and um, Lorraine Scanlon you know they're very strong really experienced spine of the team and then you've Louise Galvin as well coming in um, to the team so you know they're not kind of the young fresh face team that wouldn't have had the same experience you know they're fairly battle hardened they would they're you know they're girls that would have been playing against um, you know they obviously played in the All-Ireland Final in 2012 they would have played you know a lot of Munster Finals against that Cork team and beaten you know beaten that Cork team in Munster Finals so they're, they're well able to kind of navigate themselves through a through a tough match in a high-pressure situation. So I would say they're probably not as inexperienced as kind of fresh faces we're being led to believe. Um, but they're playing with kind of a, a really brilliant style of football, um, you know, that I absolutely love watching. It's kind of the style of football that if I was part of a team or if I was, you know, in any way involved with the team, that's what I'd be kind of telling to play or what I would love watching. Um, you know, it's quick ball. They, they run the ball when they need to run the ball. They kick the ball when they see the passes. Um, I think Declan Quinn's Quill looks like they've done a, a brilliant job with them from a skill level point of view. They look like they've you know put a lot of time um, both from from underage from the younger girls coming up and then them, them themselves. They look really sharp um, on, on the ball. So you know from that point of view, 
Um, I think they're well valued for, for, for their position in the final. Their their style of play, it, it could kind of be the death of them or it could be the, the destroying of me. I think, you know, they they run the ball a lot. They've strong runners from deep. Um, Emma Emma uh, Costello and, and Kat Lynch kind of come, come deep um, off the shoulder, the same with Chief Rochet's, you know, scoring goals for fun as well. Um, and if they can if they can time that well enough, I think they could really open Mead up. I thought, you know, Mead against Galway kind of showed how vulnerable that that kind of um, that pack defence is when you get players that can kind of make those probing runs deep in and get quick players off the shoulder. And it was kind of similar to what we would have seen in the men's game with Stephen O'Brien um, in the first half when Kerry were playing a little bit nervously and passing the ball around the top of the D. You know, he was kind of having those injection of runs, that injection of pace and creating that space um, in the defensive structure. I think that's kind of what Kerry will need to do. But, um, you know, they need to be very careful with that timing because if they're kind of running the ball into blind alleys, I think Mead will eat them up. They'll, you know, they'll kind of be happy for them to do that all day. Whereas if they're making those proper runs and have somebody quick off the shoulder, um, with those quick hand passes that kind of they've been showing they can do as well. Um, you know, they look like they can think very quickly on the ball, then I think they could open me up and be in for a few goals. Um, so I think this is going to be a different kind of beast or a different task that, that Meath have come up against. I think if Donegal had the conversion rate that Kerry has shown in the last few games, um, they probably could have caused me a little bit more trouble than they did. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's going to be a, a really interesting match. Like the you, you talk about the, the experience that some of the carry players have and like they're here to win now and like Joe was talking to you earlier about the players that might be leaving like Kerry also have that problem as well like their star in Paris McCarthy has got a scholarship to go to East Tennessee State University from the start of next season like she's this unbelievably talented player so they're going to lose players as well so they, so they want to win now um, the, one, one, of the, one of the last questions actually I had Noel is just on, on Mead do you think their style of play is actually getting the best out of them like I, I know it's very hard to criticise a team who are All-Ireland champions and who are winning pretty much every game but is there a ceiling that they're actually not achieving given given the way that they're setting up? Yeah, I, like I would love to see them play with, you know, even at least four, like if you look at Nevo Sullivan, Vicky Wall, Emma Duggan, Stacey Grimes, like four of the best forwards um, in the country and for a lot of the time of, of their matches, particularly, you know, we saw it towards the end of the game, you see Stacey Grimes and um, Emma Duggan down the back in there nearly 22 tackling and, you know, you can't fault them for their work rate but I, like I'm just kind of wondering why aren't they just keeping at least three out of the four in a spine or something to kind of you know help with that with that breakout or just get the most out of them you know see what they can do when they're scoring off fresh legs um, it's definitely something that I would absolutely love to see them, them play a little bit more of um, you know I think you're kind of Vicky has has picked up yellow cards in the last few games as well. Um, you know, just from kind of consistent failing or or, or three ticks, and you know, it's it's just from kind of I suppose clumsy tackling and kind of you know uh, I suppose late tackles that are coming in late in the game, maybe when when she's tired. And again, you can't fault them for their work rate, but you know, is that you know are they kind of I suppose trying to get the most out of? Are they putting too much emphasis on like okay, you know, you need to get your tackles in, you need to get your work right in, to the detriment of then you know, them losing players because they're putting in tired tackles rather than saying, you know, playing a little bit more cleverly and, you know, knowing if if she's on two ticks or, you know, she, she's on a tick or she's getting tired, say, look, just Vicky, just sacrifice that part of your game and stay a bit higher up and do, do a job for us up closer to goal um, because that's where, where they're dangerous and, and that's where they're going to get the most change out of them. You know, they haven't really been scoring that many goals this year and, you know, if you saw them for their for their club, you know, they're well able to do it. So, it definitely would be something that I would like to see a bit more of. I think it's a risky game because especially 
you, you have a tendency then when, when things are going bad, you know, you rely so much on your defensive structure that you can retreat into it a little bit and draw draw kind of teams onto you a bit, you know, with what we saw when in the again, the men's game, um, Armagh against against Galway when they conceded that that um they conceded the, the goal, the kick out to, to Galway and kind of just threw them on them and, you know, gave them time to kind of to work a shot. And I think Kerry will do that. Kerry can shoot from distance. They're, they're well able to take their scores. So it's, it's a risky one um, for them. All right. Well, styles make fights. So hopefully it's a bit of a classic. Noel, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Not at all. Thanks. It's uh, Noel Healy giving us some uh, interesting thoughts on the state of the women's game and then the preview of the final on Sunday, which does sound like it should be a good game. Like if, you know, if there's a structure there that both teams are slightly different in outlook then there's enough of a contrast yeah and like I think the key part of it is that Kerry are strong enough to potentially win this game I, I know that they're outsiders but if they were complete underdogs maybe may just completely crushed them and but two points is the spread I just checked it there so. I, and I know for a fact that they're very very confident oh, Kerry, Kerry are very, very confident. confident of upsetting the odds this weekend yeah alright okay they were all hanging out with you telling the no. dark secrets no but um, the Kerry Mafia has decided right we're showing up again we only travel when we expect to win they're travelling that's what you're telling me <laughs> there is no mafia 8.43 <laughs> time for virtual insanity you have entered power drive oh wow right John Duggan Jaron Owen how we doing good and uh, I went through this incredibly brilliant spell between about Halloween and February, and now I'm in the cold Ice Age snap. So this is the way this bloody thing goes. Um, so there is a little bit of a health warning beside these selections, but every week is a new week. What do you put the cold snap down to? <sighs> Life gets in the way. Uh, Life gets in the way. Rory McIlroy doesn't win the Open. Rory McIlroy wins the Open as 27% profit for the year. Right. Doesn't win the Open. There you go. You're, it's, it's like it, it literally is a, a seesaw and the balancing act of that because I'm generally not staking you know 100 a week or whatever. Like I'm staking like it's 20 here, 20 there. You, you win a bit, you're up about 20%. You lose a bit, you're down about 15, 20%. So it's never going to be 50, 50%. It's just going to be in that seesaw around the thousand. You saw that um, somebody did the, the combined score at the four majors this yeah. year, and Ryan McIlroy was like twenty shots ahead of everybody else. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so there, there, there you go. So look, I it's presume a, he would prefer to miss three cuts and win one of them. Exactly, he would, um, and wouldn't we all? Um, but Cameron Smith uh, did win. So look, this is the Rocket Mortgage Classic. It's in Detroit. Uh, it starts today at eleven forty-five. Um, I pick five golfers. They're on OTBSports.com and on the OTB Sports app. Taylor Pendrith is 70 to 1, and I think he's overpriced. I think he is the value bet of this week. He's five each way of virtual money. Um, he was one of the best players in the Corn Ferry feeder tour last season with eight top tens. Then he nearly won in Bermuda on his fourth start. He hits the ball a mile, which you need to do this week. It's four par fives in the 72 hole golf course. Um, par 72. He was 13th at the Players' Championship, injured his rib was out for months, came back, was 13th earlier this month, was 11th last time out, and I think Taylor Pendrith can definitely contend this week at 70-1. to 1. The second guy is Cameron Young, who, like Will Zalatoris now, is the best player on the PGA Tour not to have won. So he was second at the Open, as we know. Uh, he's 18-1 to 1 this week for four each way. He's been four times second this year. He's played well on a variety of golf courses, so I'm not worried that he hasn't seen this golf course before. And he makes a bunch of birdies. So Cameron Young, just about a matter of time. The third guy is Denny McCarthy, 
the guy with the Irish name, has been the best putter on tour the last few years, but he's improved his long game significantly. So he's gone from strokes gained 108th on tour to 33rd on tour in terms of strokes gained. Really contended at the US Open, people might remember that. 45 to 1 for three each way. Denny McCarthy, a much better player than he used to be. And a couple of lads as well, outsiders. Danny Willett, who was in the top 10 last week, needs to keep his tour card. He's 18 to 1 each way. And Doc Redmond, who was seconded in this three years ago, is completely out of form. So he's only going to get a euro each way by money at 250 to 1. So Doc Redmond, Danny Willett, Denny McCarthy, Cameron Young and Taylor Pendrith in ascending order or descending order, whatever you want to, way you want to put it. But Taylor Pendrith is the headliner this week at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And hopefully next week we'll have a winner. All right, that is this week's Virtual Insanity. You have entered Power Drive. For the vast majority of teams are, are fans of Premier League football teams, with probably the exception of Leicester. This is the one week of the year where you're like, yeah, something good could happen. This could be the year. Phil, I might finish seventh or eighth. Uh, Owen earlier, John, thinks, yeah. Arsenal, definitely, definitely in the Champions League. If things just bounce right for them, maybe we might even put a <laughs> title challenge in. And the boys got higher and higher and higher, just like that. You think that there's a good chance, I suspect, that Antonio Conte is the man. Tottenham finish second. Ooh, and would you be happy, or is it a, like a disappointing second? Um, I wouldn't mind seeing them win a trophy. Um, look, we did finish second in 2017, and even the season before that, we were in the hunt for the title. So, um, to win the title against Manchester City, I think Liverpool might slip a little bit this season. Um, but I agree with you, Jar. Our t-shirts are as wide as they can be. We're walking around with the widest t-shirts in Ireland at the moment in terms of our hopes and, and dreams for the Premier League season until the Jam Donut gets splattered all over the t-shirt and you've you know you realize that you're going through nine months of pain now and you can't wash that t-shirt there shouldn't be though nine months of pain i think the hard part was keeping conte when it looked like he was so pissed off yeah bernie yeah i want to leave i want to throw my toys out of the pram what a bluff call on daniel levy of all people and joe lewis that they actually oh oh, oh, okay we're gonna have to open the checkbook now and give you 150 million quid spending players wow that's pretty unusual for tottenham hotspur um i think they realized that the fans were going to revolt if we had another Pochettino-style situation again, and if Conte, who has all the managerial chops, uh, quit the club, it would be good. You, you managed to get Conte when Man United were dithering, and then you didn't take advantage of that you know, brilliant coup to get him. Um, he's not Jose. Uh, with a lot of these managers that have been through you know, the revolving door of the Premier League, uh, a lot of them have been past their prime. Conte has not. Like He got Tottenham in the Champions League last season. I couldn't believe that he did. And Arsenal obviously gave us a bit of an assist. Uh, but... Like six signings, he's got what? Richarlison in, who will be obviously motivated because of the World Cup in November. Um, I was looking at Kane and Son have scored 40 goals in the Premier League between them the last two seasons. Kulisevsky has been a brilliant revelation of a loan signing from Juventus. Benton Core in the middle as well. Uh, Yves Basuma is an excellent player. We, we saw the possession stats that Brighton had last year. He's brought in Jed Spence uh, and... On the right wing uh, and Parisic on the left. Uh, Lucas Moore has even been playing as a wing back in the in the close season. Fraser Forster is now back up to Hugo Lloris. Um, you know, there is a squad there that has been developed. I don't know what's going to happen with Matt Doherty. Um, if he's fit, um, he can definitely can flourish as a wing back in that team. And then they brought in Clement Longley from Barcelona on loan. So I am very, very excited as a Spurs fan because I think Conte will get the best out of these players. And it's not a case of Harry Gane gets injured as has happened in the past, then we're in real trouble if you have Son and if you have Richarlison. So uh, I don't think they've stopped there. Rumours about James Madison. 
um, that they're interested in him. Maybe they do need a bit more of a creative spark, but um, they're going to get a lot of the dead road out of the club. Um, we know that Conte is a short-term guy. I don't think he's going to be there for five years, um, blooding players and getting all the youth in. It's all about the now, and that's what Perisic is all about, isn't he? You know, getting the 33-year-old into the team, straight into the team, and uh, and see how he go. But uh, when I'm looking at it, I think United, have a, the Frankie de Jong thing just sums up United for me, where they are at. I think Arsenal have done well with Zinchenko and, and Jesus signing for them. Um, Chelsea, I think Raheem Sterling will have a great season, but Chelsea still, to me, I don't know if they're fully uh, complete. So I, I do think it's between, uh, I think Spurs are clearly the best, the third best team when we're analysing it. And, and if I feel that Liverpool are going to dip a little bit, which I do, I just think Liverpool be, have been on the, on the go for quite a long time. Um, have they bolstered enough in the middle of, their, of, their fi- of the middle field? I'm not so sure. So I do think Spurs are going to have a great season and uh, we'd love to win a trophy. We haven't won a trophy uh, in 14 years. So um, I don't know about you guys with Villa and Arsenal, but I'm, I'm feeling excited. Uh, I think you've got very good reason to feel excited after the way things finished last year. The one slight caveat is Bayern Munich making come hither eyes. Yeah, to, yeah. It's like, well, are you allowed to do that? You're not really allowed to do that. But uh, they did it. They did it, yeah. I was surprised that they did it. Well, they can, I suppose they're so used to doing it in Germany. They're yeah. just like, oh, you're very good. You're very good at football. Yeah. Come and play with us. How much I wonder would they, would they bid for him? Um, they, they paid £77 million for Delict. Like That's a lot of money for a centre-half last week. So... Um, but Harry Kane will not go anywhere until the World Cup, and it's actually the, one of the maybe the drawbacks of Spurs. Most of their most of their players like Romero as well, they're going to the World Cup. Um, whereas you think that like Haaland won't go to the World Cup, Salah will not go to the World Cup. Um, a lot of clubs have players that will be rested, and it's one of the fascinating. I'm, I'm, there's there's a brilliant thing, guy guys called the Big Kickoff in the Racing Post. I was reading it all day yesterday, and um, goes through every single club. It's the impact of the World Cup in Qatar and, and like the freshness or, you know, whether players would be inspired by it or actually maybe they'd be coming home early anyway. Yeah. The only thing is like Salah and Mane went off in the middle of the season last year. And yeah. I mean, maybe it had some impact at, towards the end of the year. They still were firing on all cylinders yeah. to the very end. Like, yeah, there you go. So may- Maybe Salah was tired in the Champions League final. There was also games on when they were away. So that's obviously going to have a, a more significant impact. Uh, like I know that the rest thing is also a factor. But uh, the as in their team was as in like you don't the, the Premier League doesn't take an Afcon break, you know. Guys, th- I've just noticed the shirts are very similar. I mean, look, you know, I said something wrong there. The look there was I was like, are the Premier League not taking a World Cup break? Has anybody said that yet? Uh, I think this actually often happens. We're obviously on a on a similar rotation of shirts. Yeah, let's move on. John, thanks very much for that. <laughs> All right, guys, it's eight fifty-two. Martin Lipton joins us now to uh, continue the Spurs chat. Martin, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, how are you? Yeah, John is a is a Spurs fan and is feeling pretty optimistic about things and I think with good reason, right? Well, I think so, yeah. So look, it would be ridiculous to, to assume that because they bought reasonably well this summer and they got Conte, that means they're going to win the title. Um, but I do think they the, the minimum aim and expectation actually will be to be best of the rest behind City and Liverpool. And in what will be a bizarre season for, for all the reasons we've discussed or you've discussed just now, let's see what happens. But they, they've got goals in them. There's no doubt about that. They've probably got more goals in them now. They don't have to rely on Kane to play every game, which is for the better. They appear to be recruiting well and strengthening the obvious uh, limitations in the squad. So they're in a better place now than they were this time last year, that's for certain. The I think a lot of the, the faith is based around the improvement in the players who were already there that he decided to put faith in, but also the signings in the Christmas window last year hit the ground running really quickly, which suggests that 
Conte knows what he's doing that he can get the best out of uh, players who have been underperforming he can also integrate players really quickly and then this is a turnover of the squad and it's his team and it's his team really quickly um, he, he is still at the peak of his powers it feels like yeah absolutely look it needed change um, and for a number of reasons the change was delayed a lot of it was due to um, the building costs of the, of the new stadium they needed to get the finances in place uh, and then as they were starting looking to utilise the extra income that the stadium would give them we had the, the pandemic so it took them you know, 18 months after it was answered they still hadn't opened rather they still had made next to nothing from the, the stadium which was designed to earn them well £6 million from every home game now that funding weekly funding or bi-weekly funding is on tap therefore it allowed Conti to make the demands but importantly Levy answered and said yes and that was the difference Yeah, there's no point in having a stadium if the attraction there is a mediocre team with no Harry Kane and song goes and and, you know so obviously they had to back him but the fact that he's been so successful I'm not sure everybody expects him to be this successful this quickly and getting into the Champions League is like super bonus territory Yeah, I mean I think if you've looked at it from uh, the overall quality of the squad you'd have said Spurs were fifth or sixth last season um, I think that uh, Manchester United underperformed it, uh, appallingly and Arsenal in the final analysis couldn't cope with the pressure of expectations so they sneaked through the back door but they did that because they won so many matches at the end of the season I mean they, they didn't you know get handed the points they actually had to go out and win them and they did Um and a lot of that was because the Bentanko and Kelosevsky came in and, and gave an extra dynamic to the team in January. The longer Conte was there, the more he was able to work with the players in training to get them to understand. He once says that players, a lot of players, to be automatons, to know instinctively what to do, to work under his system. Uh, and he and if they complain, it's, well, I'm the boss, and look at what I've done. And you can't look at his track record at all the clubs he's been at and not think, well, actually, maybe he's got a point. Uh, as, as others have pointed out, he won the league with Victor Moses at right back. That's, that said it all really at Chelsea. You know, he turned a, team, a Chelsea team that had been a disaster the previous campaign and finished 10th uh, for all those reasons, with falling out Mourinho and everything else, and made them champions. Um, and, of course, if he hadn't done that, Spurs would have been champions that day, that year, because they were second by some distance in that season. And everybody at Tottenham wants to win something. There's no doubt about that. They believe this bloke can do it. They recognise that he's the man in charge. And it is working. Now, whether it will continue to work, whether players want to be um, scolded and uh, moulded by Conte for the long term is less clear. But I think the general view of most of them, this is our chance. We have a real opportunity. And we actually see from top to bottom, this club knows what it wants to do now. Uh, when Matt Doherty comes back from injury, is he going to have the same level of love from Antonio Conte as he did before his injury? If he plays like he did, yes. I mean, we've had this conversation before and I've, I've, I've said I always felt uh, that it just seemed a big, uh, you know, a club too big for, for Doherty. I thought he was he was struggling to be the player he'd, he'd been at Wolves or indeed was in an, in an Ireland shirt. And then suddenly last season for a couple of months... He was absolutely outstanding. Um, he's certainly a far better attacking player than Emerson Royal. Uh, and that was one of the things Spurs missed actually at the end of the season was his attacking thrust. But they bought Spence to give them that. And he's younger. 
Uh, Doherty's plus side, of course, he is versatile. He can play left wing back as well. Less effectively than right wing back, but he can play there. Uh, I think that, that Doherty was certainly, if he was, if he's fit and right, I think he would probably start the season as the first choice right back or right wing back. That doesn't mean he'll stay there. And it all depends. And that presupposes they're going to sell someone, which will be, I suspect, Emerson Royal. But were they to receive a bid for Doherty and not for Royal, then they might decide to cash in there just because they have, have Spence now added to the squad. Can I ask then about uh, Troy Parrott? He's gone out on loan uh, once again to, to Preston this time. What's the feeling within the club about his future prospects? Is, is next summer going to be the summer that you know he's going to be in the first team plans or, or is this going to be just be a, another step on the way out the exit door at Tottenham? I think he needs to do well at Preston. But they're still very confident about him. They're both him and Dane Scarlett, who's also gone out on loan. Uh, he went to Portsmouth yesterday. They think that the development path is the right one, that they look at what happened with Kane and he needed three or four loans out to become the player that was good enough to, to fight for a place in the squad at the Spurs. And it's a similar view with, with these two, that they are continuing the progress, they're doing well, but they need to be more robust, more physical. They need to grow into men before they can compete with men, which is not an unreasonable feeling, particularly in this, that position. Uh, as a, you know, a central striker, in the Premier League, you do have to have the physical ability to cope with what goes on. Uh, and then it's a, a mentality question. Do you have what it takes to drive yourself and also continually reinvent yourself? Because the best strikers don't stand still. If they stand still, they get swallowed. Kane constantly evolves, does things differently. All of the top players do. They are able, they do what they do brilliantly, but they add something every game. So, you've got to think again, which allows you to go back to what you're good at initially, you know, to have that uh, facility and ability to adapt, change and, and drive defenders to distraction. The squad is still pretty big. It's kind of a, a mis- mishmash of various managers up to Conte and now his added uh, impetus of an extra eight players essentially since since he's arrived in. So do you expect many players to, well, here it, uh, it's a multi-pronged question, will they be able to get rid of the players they want to, I suppose is the best way of phrasing it? I think they will. They're certainly having discussions already about plenty. The one you've got to get rid of is Ndombele because he's been a disaster to, to join the club. Uh, my problem with him, if I was buying him, was hang on, he only lasts 60 minutes. What, why am I buying this player? I'm playing full whack for someone who plays only two-thirds of a game if he plays at all. Um, but then Lo Celso's got to go. He's never going to make it under, um, under Conte. But there appears to be conversations with Italy and Spanish clubs uh, likewise, there's a few others. I think we've got, you know, uh, Harry Winks has served his time at Spurs. They might get 20 million from, from someone for him. He's still a decent player and he, he can play for mid to lower tier Premier League club and look very good, I think. And others as well, they need to, they need, they've got to get it down to 25. Uh, they've got to have uh, a maximum of eight overseas players under UEFA and Premier League rules. So Brian Hill will go out back on loan. I don't think he'll ever be a Spurs player, but there you go. And a, and a few others. It's going to make... Just having a bit of trouble with that line there. Um, I think the squad size is about 30 at the moment, so they're pretty close to us. But I had forgotten completely about the nationality requirements and the makeup of those rules, which ultimately is probably um, going to dictate who survives and who doesn't. Sorry, yeah, we, we've got you back there now, Martin. 
Um, Birmingham, you see, it's the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was saying, I think they'll lose five or six, uh, mainly the overseas players, because you're only allowed 17, uh, or eight rather, overseas players in a 25-man squad. So you can see the obvious places that they were pruned. The ones who were left behind didn't go on the South Korea tour um, by choice rather than by necessity. They've got no chance, have they? I mean, they, they've, got, they've been basically told, find, find a club, because otherwise you're not going to play for anyone. Yeah. I, 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 do, they, do they care about how much they get for those players at this stage, or is it actually better just not to have annoyed people around the building stinking the joint out? Well, they'll get rid of them in some form, whether it's giving them away on loan, get deals. They'll try and get money in, and if it comes to the last minute, they may end up paying them off. Um, because, you know, they, if they don't pay, play them, don't give them a squad number, uh, then they can claim uh, a free transfer under FIFA rules anyhow, can't they, in January? So you end up getting rid of them that way. But there's no point in leaving bad smells, you know, stinking the place out. You're right, you just have to make that, that hard decision and say these are no longer part of the club. We'll get you out any way we can. Is this a new era where actually the investment on the pitch is going to reflect the gleaming stadium office? It will be the first year when it's moving in that direction. As I said, the difference uh, from the past is now they've got a full revenue from the stadium and they've not just got the match day revenue from the football, which is around 150 million, maybe a bit more a season, 6 million in a game. You've also got the, you know, this summer they've had uh, Guns N' Roses and Lady Gaga. They have got the NFL deal, which is two matches this year. They've got various rugby union. I think the New Zealand All Blacks are playing against the Barbars, I think, in November at, at Tottenham. The income stream is in. That will therefore mean more sponsorship, which will mean more income there. Uh, the Premier League income they get will be maybe 150 million. If they have a decent Champions League run, that's 80 million. It's adding up, getting towards half a billion pounds. Even with Spurs running the tightest ship of the big six in terms of uh, wages to revenue, 60% of half a billion pounds is 300 million in wages. That's a 45% upturn on where they were last season. You can see the direction of travel. And sadly, the teams with the biggest wage bill tend to be, tend to be the most successful teams. It's just a fact. Can they I, get the better players? Can I posit a scenario there when the, the, the current manager has a reputation for leaving uh, and for bringing a club to success and then falling out for whatever reason. But actually, if you go back over it, there hasn't really been an opportunity for him to stay somewhere where he had control, he had investments, and he had a, a, a situation which was as... Uh, long and forward thinking as the one Spurs is at the moment. So all of the situations he's been in have been where he's wrestled control from another another power in in uh, in the league through astute signings, force of personality, and then the club hierarchy were like, "Well, we're selling your best players," or it was Roman Abramovich. In this scenario, is there a, is there potentially a world where he actually is there for the long haul and is the manager for? a long period of time, getting the investment that he wants, largely having control over transfers? I think if you were to post that hypothesis about any other manager, you say, yeah, there's a, there's a chance he'll stay. And then you think, oh, hang on, it's Conte. He doesn't stay anywhere. He gets itchy feet wherever he goes. He can't stop himself. So if you get three years out of him, that's a long stint. Just because. It doesn't mean that he can't evolve and change. You know, he is no longer the 45-year-old Antonio Conte. 
it may be that he wants to put his roots down and stay somewhere. But I suspect that would be in Italy rather than in England, just because uh, he, you know, he's an Italian and that's where he'd feel more comfortable. So this is just a job, a lucratively paid one, and one where he wants to be successful because he knows if he can bring trophies to Tottenham, particularly the biggest of, of trophies, then that would make him one of the greatest managers there's ever been, just because of, well, it's Tottenham, as it were. Um, so, but he does that, I'm sure, for an even more lucrative pay elsewhere, because that's what he does. So that's not a criticism, it's just the nature of the man, is that I don't think he'll ever um, feel, ha- feel in, a, in a place that he doesn't want to leave just because of what he is. He's always looking for the next opportunity. In, in, in previous iterations, the Spurs job was always a good job, but it's because of the financial scenario that you've outlined there, it's becoming a great job. Like, everything there is set up for success. I don't know what the academy system is like. And, you know, we, we definitely heard about the Manchester City academy system being sensational for the last decade and now it's beginning to bear fruit all those players who come through on loan for other clubs they sell for 10 to 15 million and suddenly they're able to buy the world's best players paid for by the world's best young players um, being sold I don't know if if Spurs are set up in in a similar way but it's definitely one of the best jobs in world football given again the economic situation you've outlined Yeah, it's it's an increasingly appealing job and if they can become uh, a consistent uh, Champions League side even more so there is the opportunity to, to certainly supplant Arsenal and potentially supplant Chelsea because Chelsea under a, a non Abramovich ownership is going to be a different model it just is and there is an, and Spurs you know they've got you know nearly 50% more capacity in the ground than Chelsea Chelsea are going to spend five years or so rebuilding piece by piece so their income levels go down there's a capital cost of a billion pounds plus on that new stadium, there's an opportunity to become the preeminent side in London in the short term. Uh, and London is one of the most attractive places for football. We know that England is because of the money that's in the Premier League. It is a, a real chance for Tottenham to become a major player. And it's interesting, the Super League issue you know, 18 months ago, Spurs would, didn't necessarily want to be part of it but they were terrified of being left out because they thought that would consign them to the banks of also ran, so they went with it. Um, and there isn't any question now that they'd be asked if another thing were to come up because of what's happened. You know, you things evolve in football. They sometimes take a while, and sometimes they happen very quickly. And at Tottenham, you think things are happening fairly quickly. It's taken a while, but a question, long term, long a long time, and they've been sort of peering through the the glass ceiling and not being able to break through it well now you think they're actually cracking it open with a sledgehammer do you have any idea what the starting team is going to look like at the moment if i had to pick it would be Luis, romero dyer longley doherty if fit and perisic if fit as the wing backs two from three and i suspect Ben Tanker and Bissouma, but it may just the opening game might be over just because of, he's been at the club longer. And then it'll start Kane, Son, Kulisevsky, but things may alter. And uh, Richarlison is just a good quality sub to have? Well, he can't play the first game of the season anyhow because he's suspended uh, because of that Everton throwing the, the um, pyro at the back of the crowd. 
And I think there'll be games when they play two up front or there'll be games and he'll play left and Son will go right. He'll play lots of football. The four of them will play lots of football, but none of them will start every game. There'll be a a constant rotation. It is uh, pretty exciting. There's just one last little question there. What what are Bayern Munich doing talking about Harry Kane? It's like very considered very bad form, but was it just a random stupid answer to a silly question or was it like planting a seed in Harry Kane's mind? Come on, we love you. Come on, Harry. Why don't you come and conquer Germany? I think a bit of everything, really. They needed to make a, a signal that they weren't devastated by losing Lewandowski, that they were looking for somebody else, that they had the appeal to go out and get an, another Uber striker. And they also recognised that Spurs, if they ever do sell Kane, will not want to sell into a Premier League right? And that if he goes to Bayern Munich, he's pretty much guaranteed to win Bundesliga every year and potentially go close in the Champions League. At the same time, there's no way that Spurs are going to sell Harry Kane. And I'm pretty sure that Spurs are doing everything they can, that, believing that this season will be the one to persuade him he doesn't need to go anywhere, that he can spend the rest of his career until he goes to the MLS to finish it off uh, at Tottenham, breaking all the records. I mean, you've got to remember that Kane wants to be to overtake first Jimmy Greaves at Spurs and he's 18 or so behind. So that happens this season. And then Alan Shearer as the Premier League top scorer. He needs three or four seasons to do that, to get to 261. And if Spurs won't sell him to a Premier League club, then he's got to do it at Spurs. So maybe, but he won't want to stay if he's got no chance of winning something. Uh, last summer, it wasn't that he wanted to leave Tottenham as much as he felt he couldn't stay there anymore. That has changed. He now wants, I think, wants to stay. Look at his reactions. Look at the way he's talking. There's no issue of him wanting to go anywhere, is there? No. No, it's definitely not. The the chatter has definitely died down. Martin, it's uh, good to be excited pre-season. Great to have you with us again. Thanks a million. Cheers. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, Martin Lipton there giving us his thoughts. A reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, Bobby Dwyer's been in touch to say, love the Spurs double bill here. Agree with John. Third, the minimum expectation, but could push Liverpool. Bissouma and Perisic walk straight into the team and improve it as well as a Conte pre-season. Richarlison adds depth. Arsenal fans comparing him with Jesus isn't comparable. They should be comparing Jesus with Harry Kane, which is unfair on Jesus. And then somebody, Colin McCarthy earlier on, says, give Jesus the armband. Previously led a team of 12 and only one turned their back on him. Hey, hey. The old ones are the best, right? <laughs> oh, no, that's an absolute cracker. Uh, here's what's on OTB Sports Radio today. One o'clock, OTB Gold. Jerry Eisenberg talking about Muhammad Ali. Always worth your time. Leaders' questions. Stuart Lancaster at three. Our retro panel at four is when GA meets basketball. Uh, OTB Gold is Declan Murphy, uh, his book Centaur. And then the show is live tonight with Nathan in this very seat talking with uh, John Giles and all the rest that you get on a Thursday evening. Um, I didn't realise that one of the Kerry footballers are heading off to play. The WNBA is the dream. WNBA is a dream, yeah. She's going to a Division One college um, and is uh, supposedly just an incredible point guard. I was just chatting to a few people about her the other night, um, just kind of looking ahead to the weekend. And there is this kind of the sense that, you know, she's uh, part of a coterie of players that uh, want to win now. And, like, I mean, for me, it definitely feels like this team has kind of come from nowhere and are on, are on the way up. 
But as Noel Healy said earlier on, that's not really the truth when you look at maybe some of the players who've been around for so long. But some of those players have been playing better this year, like Louise Murahertig has looked at her best form in, in quite some time. Um, so there's there's a bit of pressure on them this week, even though they're, they're underdogs. Yeah, but they're they're uh, they're enjoying the pressure. Yeah, there's a side by side of Louise Murahertig and Gooch uh, catching the ball, turning around and striking it back to the back of the net. That um, is on one of her teammates' twitters, which I saw this morning. So like, they're not scared of this at all. No. No, absolutely not. And uh, in her, they have someone who can kick uh, like long-range points, which kind of offsets beautifully the goal-scoring, hard-running style of play that they've they've shown all year. Um, Mead obviously have the exact same thing with with Duggan and, and her range. But yeah, they also have the hard-running too. I think the other thing that they have is that they've they've been standing up for themselves all year. They've been complaining about mistreatment publicly at every available opportunity. Like that shows leadership. That's the type of thing that bonds a team together that gives them belief in coming down the stretch in hard games is like well you have my back here yeah, yeah, but like I mean, it was really interesting, wasn't it? That that did those Neymar Hurdy comments come out maybe right before the league final or maybe right after it? I think it was at the Player of the Month awards. She's yeah, like, I'm going to tell you all about this stuff. This is what's going on here. Yeah, it was like everything was going really well for the team, and it was like actually the, you, you see the duck on the surface of the water, uh, but actually we're winning in spite of what we've been given, as opposed to because of what what resources we have at our disposal. I don't think. Declan Quill doesn't strike me as a type of manager who would kind of lay down and just uh, accept mediocrity and I think he's had a big part to play himself and Dara Long have, have been an excellent uh, management duo from everything you hear from the players this year they've given them so much credit and um, it's, it's clearly paid dividends I don't think many people would have seen them getting to an All-Ireland final at the start of the year Alright, it's game on on Sunday obviously After the break we're going to be joined in the studio by the former Leinster rugby player Darren O'Reilly to talk to us about his nutrition business Holds Up First, here is the football correspondent for AFP Kieran Canning talking about the Frankie de Jong situation at Barcelona and made his continual talks with Man United. This whole de Jong experience has been a very odd one and not a very pleasant one for anybody. What's happened here? Good, good question. I think there still you know, it remains to be seen what happened. The fact it's taken this long, I, I think, shows that de Jong, if he had his choice, would want to stay at Barcelona. Barcelona clearly want him gone because he is one of the the highest earners. He was sold at that sort of peak time just before, or sorry, bought just at that peak time just before the pandemic. Mm. He's also on one of these contracts that, that goes up every year, which is part of where the deferred the the wages uh, comes from. And as I uh, said previously, you know, Barcelona still need to make cuts here and there, getting rid of some players, getting some pillars off the, the wage bill to be able to register all these guys at the same. From a purely sporting point of view, the reason that that they've chosen to get rid of De Jong is not because De Jong's a, a, a bad player. It obviously hasn't really worked out in the way that he would have wanted when he signed, but it's also the area of the field where Barcelona are already strong with guys that they've brought through their own academy that you know obviously are pretty young, pretty cheap in the, the grand scheme of things in terms of their wages. When you look at people like Gabi and Pedri and Busquets is, is still there. So it's an area that basically De Jong was the sort of sacrificial lamb in all this, that we know he's a sellable asset, he's a high earner, if we can get rid of him, that gives us the space, you know, the, the budget to deal with then go about and recruit in other areas like we've seen with Rafinha and, and Lewandowski. What happens now in terms of, you know, if, if De Jong stays, um, and that's, you know, the latest reports coming out of Spain are along those lines that he's still pretty pretty insistent that he's going to stay despite the sort of pressures from, from Barcelona. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see 
what they do next in terms of how they're going to be able to register these new guys because if, if the young stays then it, it, the sums just don't add up at the moment in terms of um, you know being able to, to register these new players OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar now we're uh, talking about a, a new Irish startup. Um, having been a professional athlete for six years Darren O'Reilly was exposed to many of the best nutritionists in the business but when he left sports to head for corporate life in London it became apparent he was struggling to meet his essential nutritional needs while balancing a busy lifestyle the reality of eating healthily can be both time consuming and expensive which ultimately leads, leads to food choices that are cheap and convenient as we all know, uh, but not necessarily uh, nutritionally good for you. I'm delighted to say Darren O'Reilly is here with us. And um, Darren, good morning to you. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on this morning, lads. So you've got a, a new company. It's called Holes Up. Um, before we get to that, tell us about your rugby career, will you? Yeah, absolutely. So I was fortunate enough to be a professional athlete for six years, as you rightly pointed out. I kind of played underage rugby for Ireland. Got to go to uh, World Cup, which was amazing. That was obviously a childhood dream. Got to play with some great lads who went on to be extremely successful. Unfortunately, I wasn't as successful as them, so the likes of Ferguson Fadden, Rob Carney, Dev, uh, Dev Toner, etc. Went to the UK when Conor O'Shea took over Harlequins. Played there for a season. And then, unfortunately, I had to look at getting what I could classify a real job back, back then and moved into the corporate world. So I transitioned into the corporate world and I had a bit of a shock, if I'm being honest, a culture shock of how difficult it was to eat healthily. It was um, unbelievably time consuming, but also expensive. Um, had a lot of this stuff kind of been looked after for you when you were a professional player? 100%. I'll be honest with you. When we went in, we'd do a weights in the morning, there'd be breakfast, there'd be all your nutrition then, then you'd do a pitch session, then your lunch would be there. The only kind of meal you were kind of looking after at that stage was your dinner. So everything was at hand. And somebody would have given you a bit of advice around that? A hundred percent, yeah. So we had uh, nutritionists and dietitians at hand all the time. They tailored all your nutritional needs. So for me at the time, I was a lot bigger. It was always about kind of keeping size on. For other lads, it was about reducing, etc. So it was all like very much so tailored to each position. So um, it's like um, sandwiches on the go, uh, fast food, uh ordering whatever it was when you become a, a civilian yes when you become a civilian I like to put that um, yeah so really when I kind of transitioned as I said I lost 20 kilos in weight not uh, not deliberately I promise you uh, it was just from skipping breakfast grabbing meal deals on the go which are cheap convenient but nutritionally disastrous I looked around the office and I realised a lot of my friends and my peers were doing the exact same thing it was just the uh, it was kind of a collision of uh, education, I think, one, but then also convenience. And that's kind of where Wholesup was born. Uh, myself and Dr. Brian Carson have kind of s- set out to simplify complex nutrition. Can I ask what, what do you mean by nutritionally disastrous? Well, Gary, can you, what, what sort of examples do you have? Okay, good example is, so when you get a meal deal on the go, sometimes you get a three o'clock uh, dip, you kind of get a high sugar spike and then you crash. So the reason why that is, is one, they're kind of very sugary or carb heavy. They're not kind of balanced. So what you want to be trying to get from a balanced meal is good fats, carbs, high protein and then any vitamins and minerals that will kind of sustain you and kind of try to keep that a, a low GI. So basically what that means is food sources that won't give you a high spike like a Mars bar or something like that, which will be slow, longer, outpour, um, outlasting energy. 
So people are like eating chocolate bars and stuff. Like you're not talking about a, a sandwich per se. It's like the, the junk food on top of that. Yeah, the junk food on top of that. But then also, uh, kind of just grabbing a Tesco meal deal isn't great for you, in all honesty, just because it's quite processed and it's kind of kind of a lot of white carbs. If if, if that makes sense. So sandwiches aren't the best. No, tr- in all honesty, if I was suggesting um, something for people to be eating, we'd be trying to eat more kind of colourful food, so salads, etc. Okay, and so um, what what part of that problem are you trying to fix with Holds Up? Yeah, so in, in a nutshell, we're kind of on a mission to simplify complicated nutrition. So what we're doing there is bringing together all the best superfoods into one easy, wholesome meal. So what that means is each serving of Holds Up is plant-based. There's a reason why we chose that, but it's high in protein. So 31 grams of protein, <coughs> excuse me. But then it's also packed with your super greens, your superfoods, as well as good fats and over 30 vitamins and minerals so that it makes you feel um, full for longer, but also it makes you feel great, great for your gut health as well as your uh, focus and energy levels. So how does it work? What, what is it? So basically at the moment, it's a powder food. So it's a nutrition complete powder food. That's our first product. So how you use it is either put in some water or some, some milk, put in two scoops, shake it up, and you can be ready in 30 seconds and you can have it on the go. It suits all lifestyles from amateur athletes to professional athletes to uh, shift worker, office workers. It's We've been fortunate enough to um, fuel a, a lady called Kate uh, Gower. She's an amateur athlete, but she's an extraordinary person. She's after doing 106 back-to-back marathons and broke the world record, was holding down a 40-hour week job. So incredible. So getting up at 5 a.m., doing a marathon, going to work, coming back, getting rest, refueling on holes up, doing it after work. Like, absolutely amazing person. Um, that is uh, definitely putting us to shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty impressive. Uh, we spent a good while this morning establishing that um, Colm outside is a, a, a five-side footballer and he's particularly interested in how this might apply to him. So, because uh, frequently, you, you know, uh, someone finishes work gets something on the go, goes to five-a-side and feels a bit bloated for the first 25 minutes, might have a little tactical puke in the corner. Um, uh, and this is hopefully going to prevent or help with stuff like that. Yeah, I think we've got we to kind of set the scene in, being all, in all honesty. For amateur athletes, it is super difficult to balance work, a family life, relationships and then social life, as well as trying to get their kind of nutritional profile uh, in place. So yes, Wholesome is definitely a solution for this because it's so convenient and you can have it on the go. And probably the best thing for any athlete is kind of preparation. So how do you prep looking at like kind of your workload for the week ahead so if you're playing five aside on a Tuesday and Thursday or if you have a match on a Saturday is how can you prep the whole week ahead it is really difficult I'll be honest with you from being uh, in a professional environment and then moving into the corporate world I feel the pain of it and this is one of the reasons why we did bring out Hustle but it's an absolutely definitely a product that can support uh, either recovery or pre uh, five side. I noticed you used the word meal instead of supplement. This is actually 
you can use this to replace lunch or you can use this to replace a yeah, meal as so opposed to... Yeah, absolutely. So you can use it as a meal on the go or as a recovery shake. So a lot of people are kind of pr- prone to only taking protein directly after a workout because they feel that's the right thing to do. Yes, that's definitely a way of supporting recovery. But what's also really important is that you get healthy fats and you also do get carbs. A lot of people are afraid of carbs. Everybody thinks carbs are their enemy when really it's what fuels you. So you kind of need to get that kind of complete profile and balanced nutrition. Um, what's the startup world like compared to uh, being in a full-time professional rugby environment? Uh, there's a lot of grey hairs here, I'll be honest with you. Um, it's amazing. Loads of challenges, but really enjoying it. We launched at, kind of soft launch at the end of February. Uh, we're currently shipping in the UK and Ireland. We've shipped over 10,000 meals throughout the UK and Ireland. Our short-term goal now is to open up Europe and then after that bring out additional products Thankfully, our team is growing. Um, as I was saying, uh, my, my co-founder is Dr. Brian Carson. So he's a senior lecturer then in, in, in University College Limerick. He's kind of the brains behind the science, I'll be honest with you. Um, my, my background was all around digital marketing and bringing clients international and helping them acquire com- uh, customers. So we kind of have a nice synergy as well. And he's also heavily involved in Gaelic football. So you've got the Gaelic football and the rugby markets, and and obviously the UK is is kind of the the, the big, um, you know, that's the 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 white whale. And how's it going there? Yeah, it's going really well. So we're kind of have a sixty percent uh, sale rate in the UK. As you said, it kind of is a bit of a, a white whale just because there's sixty five million people there. They generally are a little quicker to adopt new products because they're they're exposed to a lot more. Uh, in Ireland, we're getting lots of support from some great people here in regards to other athletes, but then other people willing to kind of support startups. Um, there's a really good. Um, community here that want people to succeed which is great from the likes of Enterprise Ireland etc they're really helpful um, one last bit there when you said the product soft launched in um, March how long had it been in gestation before that so uh, like two and a half years so right. we so we went through this at the start of uh, COVID and trying to do a kind of new product development during that period is unbelievably difficult because you're not able to go into the factory you're getting samples sent you're trying to like I never actually thought about this when we were launching the product. It was about kind of the texture in your mouth, how it feels, everything like that. So I'll actually give quite a funny story. When we were doing the kind of uh, new product development, they say your family is um, your, your kindest critic. So we kind of went and sent out a few samples to the family. And my mum tasted it and we were kind of doing blind scoring. And the first score, she was like, this is the very first one, just remember this two and a half years ago. And she gave zero out of ten. I was like, Jesus, mum, thanks. <laughs> but thankfully, it's up to a good nine out of ten in her opinion. And she's in the later age category. So <laughs> it was funny at the time. Yeah. Uh Tommy Tiernan always says sometimes a wife can be your harshest critic sometimes your ma can be your harshest critic yeah, clearly at this point <laughs> so listen if anybody wants any more information Hulse Up on Twitter is that the best way? yeah or on our Instagram handle uh, which is Hulse Up as well or com as well um, you're able to jump on um, and meals are as low as two on two euros and nine uh, cents. So really good value. We're looking to be as sustainable as we can. So all our ingredients are sustainably sourced. Our packaging is home compostable. We're we're on a mission to become a certified B Corp. We'll be one of the first five or six in Ireland to do that. And uh, by the end of the year, we'll be certified B Corp pending, which is pretty huge for a startup. Okay, well, listen, we wish you the very best of luck with this. Um, it's always interesting to see where people go after their full-time professional careers. And uh, 
you know, it's clear that people are very concerned about where their food is coming from, what they're putting in their bodies and um, convenience too. So best of luck with it. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. That's thanks so much. No worries. So uh, W-H-O-L-E-S-U-P-P. You can get that on uh, Twitter and on Instagram as well. Darren, thanks very much. It's uh, 9.29 this morning. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Back tomorrow, Willow Callan and Ashley O'Reilly in studio as we continue our build-up to the All-Ireland Women's Football Final. Plus, we have the return of Deal or No Deal with Phil Egan. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.